I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Peter Moran. And you're tuned in to listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast or we'll drop you off in a bad neighborhood. Hey, Peter. Hey, Aaron. How you doing, man? I am doing pretty good. I watched a fucking crazy movie. Um, one and, and thankfully, you know, I kind of want to talk about it with someone. And thankfully, uh, it just happened to be the movie that we're watching today and you recommended. That seems really convenient. It's very I don't con- know how they lined up like that. Now, now, people at home should know this. Um, we don't actually coordinate these movies uh, beforehand. We just hope we get on the podcast and we hope that we've both watched the same movie in a given week. So far, it's worked great. Yeah, yeah, it's worked great. There's been no... Uh, I mean, we did have that, that failed episode where you were like, have you seen Shoah? And I'm like, no, I haven't seen Shoah. Yeah, I, like, I watched yeah. all 10 hours of Shoah, um, <laughs> thinking that Peter was... Pro- on a whim. On a whim, figuring that we'd cover it, and uh, and we didn't. Uh, I was all set to talk about it. I was really bummed. So that's a really sad episode. Uh, that's where... That's where Peter sits and listens to me talk about Shoah. Um, and that was one where I think we really – it took us a while to figure out our podcast because I described um, – it's about a 10-hour movie and I took 20 hours describing it. So it's it, it was a little excessive and that's when we kind of started thinking maybe we should – maybe we should peel this back a little. Well, I mean we did start as a uh, Holocaust movie podcast and we just gradually worked over to – uh, just genre movies and B-movies. Yeah, it's a natural progression. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a really rough week. I watched Night and Fog. You watched Shoah. It was a very uncoordinated week. Yeah, and so you did the plot synopsis, and you it was about three minutes. And then mine was followed by 20 hours. Um, and then we had to buy new computers because the memory was full. So it was a rough... It was a that rough sucks, start. Though. That sucks, though. Like, you get these computers, and they're so expensive, and then you just use up all you just use all the, up all the memory, and what are you going to do? Yeah, the computer just can't remember anything else. Yeah, um, it sucks. You should see my closet. It's just laptop after laptop. You know, I'm in enormous debt. You're in enormous debt. Do you own any clothes? Uh, I, I wear laptops as clothes. <laughs> you wear laptops as clothes. <laughs> I look like I'm a shitty Halloween costume dash uh, a Mad Max from a world where um, I couldn't find any like armor plates. I could just find <laughs> MacBook Airs. <laughs> yeah, and people can punch you in the stomach whenever they want because they're not breaking through that. Oh, and because I'm a pushover of a human being. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um so this week is our part two of our canon twofer. Uh, last week we watched Life Force, which was a movie that um, I had seen and liked, uh, or liked is a very, is not the right word there, uh, a movie that I had seen and loved and Peter had never seen it before, but now he either loves it or understands that I am not at a place emotionally where I could deal with him telling me that he doesn't love it, so he is pretending to. Uh, either one is a beautiful fine. lie. Either one is fine. And then this week, what are we doing, Peter? This week, <laughs> we're taking on, uh, yes, our second uh, of many, many canon movies, I anticipate. But our second for now, uh, Death Wish 3. Michael Winner's Death Wish 3. And it's a real winner. How many jokes like that are we going to have to deal with on this podcast? That one was ad-libbed. So, I, I guess, in theory, t- an infinite yeah, amount of them. I have 19 written down. Um, <laughs> I guess not infinite, because eventually this laptop's going to run out of memory, and I'm going to have to just stack it in the closet with the others. <laughs> um, but we could yeah. make a two-parter when I can afford another laptop. Yeah, maybe we can start a Kickstarter. Um, 
Yeah, we're we're going to be we're going to be covering so many canon movies that probably by episode thirty of this podcast we're going to have to change the name of the podcast to uh, Canon Fodder. Oh my god, that's so good! It it's less of, it's less of an SEO nightmare than our current name, uh, which is listen to our podcast. <laughs> you got real game showy there. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> First of all, if you like the game show voice. You need to strap in, buddy, because uh, our first segment today, prior to getting into the movie, we're going to talk about it later. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, one of our big podcast themes is back this week uh, in a really big way, in a really disturbing and really almost movie-ruining way. Uh, we'll talk about that later. That's a little tease. Before we get into it, we have uh, one of our patented uh, unwelcome segments to kind of get us into the movie. So this week, Grossly you know, I... Grossly unpopular. Really, it is – I didn't even know that we were handing out comment cards, so I'm not sure where these came from. But I've been receiving comment cards in the mail with just, you need to stop this. Please end this. We came to listen to the movie. We came to listen to you talk about the movie. I, I get these daily. You're being much more polite about it than it actually was. They're tied to bricks, Aaron. Yeah, they are. They're not um, just dropped in a convenience like mail slot. Yeah, they they are they are tied to bricks. They're thrown through my window. Um, also, they keep saying uh, your audit is overdue. I don't know what that means. Uh, that must be some sort of radio technical podcast critique that I've never heard of before. Um, but it's it's getting really threatening. They're saying uh, final notice on this comment, which I mean, it's uh, it's getting weird. It's just getting weird. Your daughter's first words were, hey, fuck you, buddy, because someone threw a brick through her window while she was uh, watching Caillou. Yeah, she did. Did I tell you about Caillou, or did you just have a sixth sense about Caillou? Uh, I'm, I'm I, nieces, and so I know the horrors of Caillou. Oh, my God, yeah. No, my wife... bald fuck. My wife fucking hates him. <laughs> hates Caillou. Hates him. Caillou inspires a hatred in, in, in parents that I think knows no bounds. I think parents give him leeway... Um, for a little bit because they think he's a cancer boy and then they watch uh, cancer Jesus boy. Christ. <laughs> they, th- they think he's a boy with cancer. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think they give him the, the benefit of the doubt for a little bit. And then after a while, they're like, oh, wait a minute. No, he's just whiny. Yeah, he, he, he's. I haven't really paid that much attention, but I do know the theme song really well. And the theme song is really creepy because there's a part where he goes, uh, growing up is not so tough except when I've had enough. So it kind of sounds like he's pretty close to ending it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my like, God. If, if I had to live life as Caillou, I would definitely end it. Yep. Well, I'm not going to pretend to be a dinosaur today. Uh, I've, I've had enough. I'm going to go stick my head in this adorable cartoon oven. <laughs> It's the most uh, uh, whimsical way to end your life. Yeah, it's bright colors. Like, kids will, kids will like it. Kids will love it. Um, um, but yeah, Caillou's the fuck... I, no, I just... I pulled out Caillou because he's my sworn enemy. We have, a, we have a niece who loves, loves Caillou. It's just... And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just hilarious. Just be, uh, It's hilarious because I had no concept of Caillou until about a year ago. So the, the fact that someone else would know about Caillou almost leads me to believe we've had a conversation about Caillou. But I'm like, why would I ever bring up television shows my daughter's watching on her preschool channel? No, it's it's one of the inevitabilities in life. I guess it's like death, taxes, and if you have children around you, they're going to torture you with Caillou. Yeah, 
It's it's a child's revenge. It's ubiquitous. My wife will be thrilled to hear other people want to murder this cartoon five year old. By the way, can, can we just make this? Uh, can we just make a whole episode about like a season of Caillou? If well, and just like if we ever get if we ever, if we ever want to get my wife on, she would be happy to talk about that. <laughs> Like, so this little fuck had the chance to go to the water park. You know what he did? He whined the whole way there. Yeah, we're a podcast for, uh, for you know, it's we, we say a lot of bad words, but we would still probably want to put some sort of explicit warning uh, if my wife comes to talk about Caillou. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, we do swear a lot. We talk a lot about of uh, a lot of inappropriate concepts. This one gets really bad. <laughs> um, can she top? Can she top me accidentally saying uh, "cancer boy" ex- instead of "boy with cancer"? Um, I bet she could, only in reference to Caillou. <laughs> Whoops. Um, um, yeah. But well, yeah, thanks, well guys- thankfully, you're, you're controlling the edit this week, so I have a, uh, I have a sneaky suspicion that's going away. Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a sneaky suspicion that you think I'm a better person than I actually am. I do not think that. Don't worry about it. Um, anyway, so let's uh, let's get into our first concept. So, uh, so I after last week's quiz, I had an idea for a different quiz this week. Uh, basically, built on the same concept. Oh boy! Built on the same concept of trying to uh, to trick you. Um, so I so the the star of Death Wish Three is a man by the name of Charles Bronson, um, who a sixty three year old man, sixty three year old man named Charles Bronson, who's been in you know some some amazing movies. Um, although I feel like some is kind of being generous. He's been in a couple amazing movies and a ton of movies. Uh, that no one's ever heard of. Um, the the amazing ones he's in. He's in Great Escape. He's in Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, Magnificent Seven. Magnificent Seven. You know he has some great movies. And then and and all of his movies kind of have the same type of titles as I as I found out today. So what this? You want me? Wait, hold on. I'll do game show voice. So what we're doing today, Peter, is I'm going to give you movie titles, and you're going to tell me. Is this a Charles Bronson movie or a movie that Aaron made up? <laughs> I think he was in like six movies with death in the title. So uh, I'm, I'm, I think it's going to pretty well. I'm looking at my list. Not one of them have death. Oh, okay. So we're going to start. Now you can tell me, is this a Charles <laughs> Bronson movie or a movie I just made up? A Thunder of Drums. Real Charles Bronson movie or a movie Aaron, your co-host, Made up on the spot while he was supposed to be working today. <laughs> All right, I'm, make, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a wing on this because I actually don't. I've seen a handful of Charles Bronson movies, but when you're Charles Bronson and you made movies in like four decades, uh, I'm I, I I haven't even seen like a fourth of his movies. I'm gonna guess this sounds familiar. I'm gonna guess this is a real Charles Bronson movie, and it, it involves him playing a Native American. <laughs> well, I don't know about the second part, but the first part is absolutely correct. Yes, a thunder of drums, a real Charles Bronson movie. You should, yes. basically all of his movie titles sound like they're the fake movies from Seinfeld. They, uh, they do. Um, all right, number two, real Charles Bronson, fake Charles Bronson, Target Zero. Target Zero. Oh my god. I'm gonna go fake. That is a real Charles Bronson movie. Oh, okay. It sounded too generic, like it was just you uh, jawing around your room. <laughs> yeah. No, Target Zero, trust me, uh, being a generic title is not going to 
rule out any of Charles Bronson's movies. <laughs> I have a, I have, so it's one one right now. It's one one. I have, I have a sub wait, game. Wait, wait, are play. you are you playing against me? Like I don't get points. You're on a game show. <laughs> the way the game shows normally work, like if. If someone on Jeopardy guesses the wrong answer, uh, Alex Trebek doesn't get that money. No. You, have you ever watched Jeopardy before? Just wondering. Yeah, they con- they're, they're, they're constantly spinning that wheel against those families for survey questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I have a, I have a sub game uh, that I'm going to play with you during this game. And Pat, is that, Pat really does that follow it. the rules? Can we do that, Pat? It's my off-screen uh, co-host, uh, or what do you call it? It's my, my off-screen uh, announcer on the game show. Pat, check the rules. Judges? I, I have a feeling he's going to say no. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm just looking out my window, so no one has said a thing. <laughs> what does Doug think? Doug? I hear you wandering around. Doug just is scratching our hardwood floor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's up or down. It doesn't really matter because the game's going to get played whether or not you want to. This is more of a, a jigsaw from the movie Saw situation. There's no opt-out. Great. Now Doug's here. <laughs> Ready to chew my computer cords. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. Hit me Hit me with uh, your number three. Wait, how many rounds do we have? I don't know. I, I, I wrote a ton of both, so I had a lot of options to choose from. <laughs> this is not going to cover Death Wish 3. It's just going to be this game for three hours. Yeah, all right. So... Real or fake Charles Bronson movie, Machine Gun Johnson. Fake. That is a fake. That is a fake. That is a fake Charles Bronson movie. You know, I'm actually thinking now what I should have done is only had real Charles Bronson movies and (laughs) see how long it took you to figure out that these were all real. (laughs) That'd be terrific. That is not what I did. That would have been a much better game show. That's uh, my kind of game. That is going to be the spinoff series that's going to air exclusively on the Charles Bronson Game Show Network. All right. Next one. Real or fake Charles Bronson movie, Family of Cops 4. <laughs> that's, that's how, that title sounds translated from Chinese. <laughs> Cantonese, Mandarin. It's, it doesn't sound like it was originally written <laughs> well, in English. Well, then. Family of Cops 4. Not like Family of Cops 4 other people. Like number four, Family of Cops. I think there was a there was a family. I think there was a series called Family of Cops that he was in. I don't know if it went as high as four. I'm just going to jump and say that it's real. It is fake. Family of Cops one, two, and three real. Family Ooh. of Cops four <laughs> fake. Do you know how many Death Wish movies there are? There are five. Good, uh, good research. Thought I yeah, could trip I did. You up there. I did some research. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that the last three movies that he made were Family of Cops 1, 2, and 3. So a fourth could have been planned by someone somewhere if he hadn't died. Uh, probably not, though, because he died in 2003, and I think the last Family of Cops movie was in the 80s. But, you know, reboots are the rage nowadays. I hope that means that he like he, he got enough uh, shooting people money throughout the course of his career that he was like... Yeah, I can uh, just do nothing for the next twenty years. I hope I hope his his like tw- the twenty years between his last movie and uh, his death w- were uh, enjoyable. I hope he spent a lot of time on a boat or something. Yeah, you would hope that it was more um, being able to live comfortably and retire happy after doing one hundred and fifty movies, uh, one hundred and forty nine of them. Not so great. Oh, Jesus. Jesus um, and and not like uh, you know. I have to retire because I have some sort of debilitating disease or something. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so it's good to dream big. All right, next one. 
Assassination Vengeance. Assassination Vengeance? Is this from the, um... <laughs> is this from the, uh, action movie synonym dictionary? <laughs> Just well, smash again, words together? <laughs> I can't wait uh, for you to go look at, uh, Charles Bronson's filmography after this to realize whether fake or real, uh, it, it would be really hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna say it is fake. Assassination Vengeance is fake, and probably a movie someone should make at some point. They should think about it, at least. Yeah. All right. Next one, Torpedo Alley. How long Alley. is this going? Well, Torpedo Alley. Torpedo Alley. <laughs> we'll just do it. We'll just want to go quick. Torpedo Alley. Real or fake, Bozo? Uh, fake. <laughs> Torpedo Alley is real. All right, fuck. Go. I'm, I've right, already the, lost. The arrow's mark. True. Fake. God damn it. <laughs> Hit me again. Uh, them guns from Texas. Uh, real. Fake. <laughs> God damn it. Keep going. Um, they have the lightning round. You you really suck at lightning rounds. Why didn't you tell me about this <laughs> before we started a podcast? <laughs> That's important Go. information. All right. Big House USA. Big House USA. <laughs> Again, translated from its native Cantonese. Um... Big House USA is real. It is real. Yes. <laughs> All right. Showdown at Boot Hill. Showdown at Boot Hill. Real. Correct. Yes. And that's it. That's it. Those were, yep. I think you you actually ended up at an even 50%. I think you got five right, five wrong. Okay. Now, now um, to let you know again about my process here, uh, basically, every fake one was pretty close to a real one. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like you um, took a real one and then changed one word from, like, flipped five titles with the word assassination in it, and then... Yeah, it was basically, or just uh, mixing up title names. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It is amazing, uh, though, um, that he starred in so many movies, and most of them uh, seem, seem made up. They, n- not many of them sound like it's even approaching a concept. But then again, it's it, all of them just have like out for blood, coming to punch. <laughs> yeah, um, I was Real gonna cheese. There was a version of this where it was just like face shooter offer. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, or that was going to be the title of this episode, but I decided uh, I liked mine better. Yeah, we'll be able to save face shooting for later. <laughs> yeah, there's there's going to be it's not going to be unmentioned. Oh, I'd like to congratulate you. A little bit of casturbation. Oh, great. For your great game. That was enjoyable. That's good. Hopefully the listeners... This isn't about what you and I think is enjoyable, Peter. There's other people that we're thinking about. Like, like five of them. I've never thought about anybody else. Yeah. All, <laughs> like, all five like five of, of them listeners. that we know by name. <laughs> and we're making them proud right now by making ourselves happy. Yeah, they, they want us to be happy anyway, any which way but loose. Uh, which is not a Charles Bronson movie. Which is not our movie today, unfortunately. All right, I have a real next segment. Um, so this is a segment called uh, We're Doing It. We spend the next 10 seconds just kind of showing our excitement that we've made a podcast by going, We're doing it! Can you believe it? Do you want to join me in the in We're Doing It? <laughs> It'd be really weird if I didn't. <laughs> well, then it would be I'm doing it. <laughs> I mean, I can pivot to a different segment idea, just called I'm doing pro- it. A lot of pronoun confusion. Yeah. I don't think people would get the segment. Yeah, I'll, I'll play your. I'll play your game. All right, ten seconds on the clock. We're doing it. 
Let's go. Hey, Peter, we're doing it. We're doing it? We're making a podcast. Oh, man, that's awesome. I never thought we would actually do it. Yeah, not after the first four times. I thought it'd be over by now. Yeah, I thought it'd be well over by now. I didn't I think we'd we get past smart. the pilot stage. I thought we'd be canceled, which is not something that can happen <laughs> on a podcast. No, someone actually comes over uh, from iTunes and stamps you on the forehead, canceled. But takes your takes your microphone. <laughs> that'd be kind of that'd be kind of nice. Just yeah. <laughs> a weight off your chest, Stop. better than the slow the slow uh, slow death that happens to most podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Just stop. Like nobody's listening. No feedback. Stop this, please. This is beautiful. We're, we're taking your blue snowball back. <laughs> Not snowball. All right. Uh, so really quickly, I got a couple more segments. Uh, next one is called. Uh, so this movie's called Death Wish. So, Peter, what's your death wish? What is my death wish? What's your death? Awesome. It's like a birthday wish, but it's the wish you get before death. Oh, 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 oh. That's, I, that's what a death I, wish is, right? Or did I not understand the concept of this? I movie? think you understand it perfectly. Great. Um, I uh, would like for, like a pharaoh, I would like all my loved ones and pets buried with me. Alive? Alive? Alive. Okay. I mean, yes. why do it if they're dead? <laughs> yes. I mean, why even bother? I don't want to. Yeah. Um, I mean, eventually they will be dead. As I will not provide sustenance within my tomb. <laughs> um, That's good for the budget of your tomb. <laughs> you know, I'm going to put a lot of money into uh, building a pyramid for myself. Yeah, and, you, can't, uh, Frank, you can't be buying canned goods. Yeah, exactly. What do you think? Garbanzo beans are cheap? No, they are not. I think they're like a buck thirty. Well, now you're dating us. <laughs> not not the, the hellscape that is 2017, where Garbanzo yeah. beans cost a, a buck seventy. That's gonna look really stupid in a couple of years. Great, we're gonna look really quaint. It's gonna be like when grandparents are like, "Back in my day, soda pops cost a nickel." That's what it's gonna sound like to 2017 audiences. Uh, are you doing an impression of all the characters from this movie? Yes, the ger- <laughs> the geriatric Punisher and his band of super super supportive geriatrics. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, you my want- de- you didn't you didn't ask me, but uh, my death wish. Why would uh, I? <laughs> my death wish is that I get uh, three more death wishes. <laughs> <laughs> my death wish is uh, I'm going to redact mine and just say my death wish is for you to get no death wishes. <laughs> hope you hope you get your death wish before I get my death wish. <laughs> because if you don't, that's not going to mean anything. Or wait, what's the order there? <laughs> Well, I mean, I need to die first, and then I can roundly oh, yeah. stop. I can roundly stop you from having a death wish. So the key is to for me to die before you. Essentially, we can make no, that happen. I, I learned I from Caillou. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> poor dying boy! <laughs> um, all right, I got one last very quick segment idea. Not really a segment idea, but just something that I think we should keep track of. While I was editing last week's episode, I left him in. Because I wanted to do this, this start keeping this counter. But, uh, hey, Peter, you said dude mm-hmm. twice last week. I did. You did. <laughs> so we're just going to keep track. Um, now, it's not going to count if you say it as a joke. Uh, but if but it, but you'll be able to tell when you listen if there's some sincerity in your voice when you say stuff mm-hmm. like, I know, dude, which is basically what happened on last week's episode. So uh, starting, we're going to keep track every week. Uh, starting this week, the dude counter from Peter is at two. 
Two already? Two. I don't and, remember it from any of the other episodes. Um, do I? Do I have a? What happens if I say stoked? Does that count as any points, or is it just for dude? I don't know what your what your thing is with points, Peter. Uh, there's no points. Really, it's just a counter. <laughs> We're just gonna count. So this is more like when, when uh, you when you teach a kid to count, do you say give your points up to ten? <laughs> yes, you know okay. me. And I wait. One, let's backtrack. Why would anybody trust me to teach their children how to count? I don't know, but I think if you started out with, "Hey, get to twenty points," what what the fuck uh, does that mean? Count to twenty. I think I think actually that's a good strategy for teaching kids ha- uh, math. This is more fun. Just saying numbers is really boring. But like points, you feel like they're winning every yes. time. Yes. Yeah, dude, I know. <laughs> dude, how stoked are you about this episode? <laughs> Pretty stoked. You ready to get into it? <laughs> I think it's going to be rad. Tubular. Um, Just accept that unless you edit this out, this is going to be a segment from now on. God. I'm going to actually edit in. I've got the power. Right here. You mean the touch? No. I've got the power. Burn. Uh- isn't that, isn't that everybody dance now? <laughs> it's probably that. <laughs> I don't know. It all blurs together. It's just people being very excited about things. Now that's a really good segment idea. Just just songs that where you say a line and then do that beat where it's like I saw the sign. Dun 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 dun. It doesn't require you to know the rhythm to anything. No. It's a great system. Sing me a song, you're the piano man. Dun, 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 dun. Did you just make a girl talk song? I think I think that's basically what, what a girl talk <laughs> song is, yeah. Awesome. But like the early stuff. Yeah, the good um, stuff. That dang dang stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, do you have any other uh, ways to punish me today with these new segments? I don't. That's why I said let's let's get into the movie, Peter. Is that what you let's, said? Let's, okay. Do you want me to do you want me to take the lead? Yeah, Peter. We we've we talked about this pre-show. Oh, yeah, we talked about it pre-show. How are they supposed to know, dude? Well, just you know, grab the grab the bull by the horns. <laughs> okay. Hey, motherfucker. <laughs> yo, 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 baby pops. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> This, this, okay. this has the potential to be our first callback where we constantly say lines from songs and then do the everybody dance <laughs> beat. Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to take you through the plot of Death Wish 3. So, oh, yeah, so we, that's what we should say. We should say that just like last week um, when we did Life Force, what we're going to do is just quickly go through the plot. Peter's also going to give a little background on the history of this movie. Because, like, most things that started out in someone else's hands and ended up as a canon picture uh, is fucking insane. So uh, we'll do a quick rundown on that. Peter, what's your time limit? You're giving me- I did 90 seconds for Life Force. I think it ended up being I can do minutes. this in 45. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to actually, uh, the second I start talking, do you want to just, like, uh, do you have, like, a watch or anything handy? Or just look at your look at the little record thing, maybe. Do you want to actually see if I can do this in 45 seconds without cuts? Well, no, because I don't... I want you to actually give give the, the beats of the story. Okay, okay. I mean, uh, I'm I know... I know every, everyone's takeaway from this is that Peter has a competitive problem. <laughs> and then next week, someone's going to have to do it in half the time and half the time and half the time. You're going okay, so. to start listing our podcast as Aaron Armstrong versus Peter Moran. <laughs> That'd be good. 
Okay, so what I got here is uh, Death Wish 3, which is the third entry in the Death Wish series. Uh, and the previous two, the series is kind of noted for being about um, somebody takes away something from Paul Kersey, and then he goes on a rampage. The first movie is very restrained um, compared to Death Wish 2 and 3. The series gets more and more unhinged and it removes restraints as it goes on so at first it's this story of this quiet architect liberal named Park Paul Kersey whose family is um, assaulted in their, their nice apartment uh, by some street thugs including a young Jeff Goldblum um, which is a weird fucking role for him because you will never see him play that kind of evil ever again and then um, his daughter survives and his wife dies and he eventually warms up to the idea through the slow process of a 70s movie, um, the idea of murder. And so he goes out and he, and he it's very small scale sort of just like finding situations where he can kind of morally justify shooting people. The second movie, he's kind of moved on with his life. He's gotten, he's gotten calmer and uh, he's moved across the country. Because uh, after the first movie, he is banned from New York. And in the second movie... <laughs> Which is apparently that's how, how that, that's how, that's how America works, right? It's <laughs> just how America works. Someone's I, I forget who some authority figure is like like I don't like you, but I respect you. Get out of here. Um, you, you can get uh, banned from Walmart's, uh, bars, <laughs> and New York. It's, it's just how it works. So uh, and you can he, definitely get banned from Chuck E. Cheese. You can most definitely get banned, especially the ball pit. Yeah. All right, so then in the first movie, he gets kicked out of New York by the mayor or chief of police or fucking whoever, whatever, it doesn't matter. And he gets sent to... Same in job. the second movie, he gets sent to the West Coast, and his daughter uh, is um, actually his housekeeper, and then his daughter are assaulted, and the daughter in a scene, I believe Lawrence Fishburne is one of the rapists. Um, there's, in, the, uh, in the movie. Yes, in the movie. In the movie. Good clarification. That was people were clearly confused. Um, I believe Lawrence Fishburne is one of the rapists in the second movie. Anyways, uh, Death Wish basically starts taking the war to um, street gangs as a whole in that movie, and he actually gets revenge on the people that physically assaulted his daughter and caused her daughter, his daughter, to commit suicide. Um, which in the first movie, um, because it's more restrained. The hoodlums all get away. The creeps all get away. And the third movie is basically a series of uh, comical mishaps where Kersey com comes to town. He has no family involved because they've all been raped and or murdered. And uh, people that he meets in the neighborhood and his friends that he knew from back in the day, or friends that he knew back in the day, are uh, assaulted and murdered and beaten and raped and whatever throughout the course of the movie to just gradually escalate things to a comic degree as things go on. And, uh, Kersey as he goes is comically, uh, decides to just keep shooting them. <laughs> and the movie thinks that this is amazing. So, uh, and then by the end, the entire town, <laughs> not entire town, this section of Brooklyn has descended into bloody post-apocalyptic mayhem and we're as an audience supposed to think that's a good thing and Kersey walks off into the sunset to uh, Death Wish two more times it's basically the Vietnam War comes to America <laughs> 
It's like America colon the new Vietnam. Less civil. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a pretty good summation of the series. And actually, somewhat interesting, because I I mentioned I have not seen – I have not seen Death Wish 1 or 2. I was was surprised because he says that he never caught his wife's killer, and I'm like, well, that can't be right. But, it's true. Yeah. He, he, this is the first movie is kind of, is, is, so the book apparently that it's based on is sort and, of so, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about that book. So let's, let's start talking I've about I've never read some, it. I, 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 I've obviously never read the book. <laughs> um, but, uh, unless, unless it has pop-ups in it, I'm just not interested. Um, but what's interesting about the book that I found out is that the book is actually very anti- like it's almost a parody of this, the book, which which the movie, this movie is not, and none of the movies were because Michael Winner is uh, absolutely uh, believes in these politics that these movies espouse. The movie the movies all have disgusting politics, but this is where I think the politics descend into the point where, without the context, the cultural context that it's in, I think that this movie could be confused for a Team America style satire because it's straight up funny like it's it is hilarious and not in a like an ironic laugh at you way like it accidentally nails comic beats and it really works for me as an action movie so i uh i was really proud to bring this movie to the podcast because it's something that i'm i'm it's a movie that i'm really pumped about conceptually and in practice yeah if you and and this was kind of the rule that i had to follow for most of last night which was this is a comedy. It may be an unintentional comedy, but you're you're right. It definitely has the difference between this and the parody version is almost non-existent. Um, you could you could never make an airplane version of this movie. It would be no, too z- it'd be like too zany. No, but it's it's those moments, and we're going to get into it. Um, it's those moments that don't follow that. This is a comedy because it's not supposed to be a comedy. Obviously, it is absolutely not supposed to be a comedy. And it's those moments that don't follow the – it's those moments that – where it stops being funny. And, and starts getting real. And starts getting real <laughs> in its attempt at seriousness or um, more likely exploitation where it gets a little more queasy feeling. So we're going to get into that. There's one sequence. There is an actual rape sequence in the movie that I think should have been excised entirely. And that yeah. does break my – that almost breaks my reading of it. And and um, that and that got really tough, especially the way that ended. But I, I want to get into that when we start when we start talking about specific scenes. So the one thing that was really interesting to get into some broader broader topics here. So the one thing that was very interesting. So obviously the last movie we did was Life Force, and before that uh, on our super secret episode, it was Superman Four. This this very from the onset felt like the type of canon movie that they built their reputation on this wasn't an you know because the other movies that we've talked about or covered or that for the most part i've seen um i mentioned that my my familiar my um my knowledge of canon movies from actually seeing them is pretty pretty small that this actually felt like the canon movie of the canon movies that you're aware of this was not an attempt at respectability like uh, like the Masters of the Universe, like Superman Four, like Life Force, like those types of movies. This really mm-hmm. was. We're going to do this relatively cheap, and the director doesn't quite know what he's doing, and he doesn't know how to establish shots. And this this felt more thrown together in the way that Canon really built their reputation. 
I would kind of disagree that it feels thrown together, though. I think that one of the trademarks of canon movies is that they um, they have a sort of... It's cheesy, but they have a sort of, like, sheen of cheesy professionalism to them. Like, the lighting tends to be adequate. Um, the editing tends to never be confusing. There tends to be... Even when the plots go off the rails, like, there tends to be at least someone writing it understood how to write a script. And uh, the value of canon movies is that they feel like they started as something sober, and then as they evolved, more elements were tossed in to maybe meet market market ideas like going and Globus saw uh, fucking Superman, so Superman got more influence in in a certain movie or you know they started to be influenced by more movies that they were seeing and those sort of muddied the waters and made these movies into these insane hybrid pieces that like they are and i, this I, movie I, I think you're ha i mean i agree with you that there's definitely a level of clarity and professionalism and the story beats are feel low budget to me yeah, maybe thrown together is well. I guess this movie's budget was ten million dollars for nineteen eighty five. So that's, that, that's pretty respectable. That's that's not low budget, but I I guess the general sense of I think maybe thrown together is the wrong word. But there there are shots, especially like all the shots inside the apartment building, and there there's some there's a lot of this movie that feels kind of like that uh, level of basket case shooting. I don't know if it's the stock they shot on. But there, there's definitely moments when they're not doing their big special effects. That's what Canon knows how to do. When they're blowing up cars, when they're shooting guns, when they're having those quick, you know, uh, gore moments, everything looks really good. It's when they yeah. have it, when they have two people talking in an apartment or people having dinner. It feels like no one fucking knows where to put the camera. They don't all. know. They don't know the stitching of that. That's true. And they and it's it's. You you are correct in that sense where they're trying to, when they're trying to nail legitimate human emotions they are lost yeah so there's a lot there's a lot of uh, there's a dating sequence uh, like a Christ, romantic yeah. sequence in this movie that is um, equal parts awkward and funny as funny uh, mostly because uh, are you going to talk about close up kissing yes 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 Charles Bronson is sixty three years old so. And then his love interest in this movie is a is she a lawyer? No, she's a public defendant. Yeah, she's a public defendant. She's a yeah, so, so hold on. Uh yeah. Everybody that's listening to this podcast, that was the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life. <laughs> and I like, said it with such casual dismissal of what you said. Uh I, I do want to camp out for a sec because you said uh, she's a lawyer, and I said no. She's a public defendant, which you is know. like which is like saying if you're like, yeah, well, she's a cop. No, she's a police chief or a police officer. <laughs> and then it's I was like, yeah, it sounds what like a you're just dismissing idiot. public defendants. Yeah, <laughs> like they're not real lawyers. Yeah. So I, I thought it was important to recognize how fucking dumb I am. All right, let's go. <laughs> oh, that's that's staying in. That's part of the edit. I, um, it should. That's why I wanted to explain. Like, I'm going to write our show notes is just going to be a written apology. It's not so much that I was wrong. It was how dismissive I was of you uh, in your rightitude. This is gonna, This is a flash forward to episode 30 where we break up the podcast. 
Um, if if so, our podcast breaks up, I hope it happens on air. Oh God, it better. Yeah, and I and and then one of us has to be like like. I hate you, but I'm going to put this one out, right? And they're, and they're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, ho- I hope one of us hangs up and the other one just keeps recording the podcast. Oh, shit. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Especially that would, that would function as some sort of like uh, experimental art piece. Yeah, which I think is where our show is going to go eventually anyways. Because <laughs> like two we- affable, nerdy dudes just talking about uh, genre movies and eventually it just gets real dark. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, both of us are already bored by the concept of talking about movies. We're like, how can we really alienate the audience that we don't have? <laughs> Just really dig this show into the ground. I think yep. we'll be able to... I've already gotten through the synopsis. I think we're making a great, great clip. So basically, Paul comes to town. He, well, I, I'll, go, I'll, I'll, loop back, I'll loop back to the, I'll loop back to the, to to bigger the romantic themes. plot. To the bitter things in the romantic plot. Paul okay. comes to town. He, uh, His friend is being murdered literally seconds before he comes in because that's how crazy New York is that it's this is one of those movies like Vigilante or even like Escape from New York or uh, the Warriors where New York is just this war zone um, and it's playing off a lot of fears of that you know upper middle class particularly white white people upper middle class white people have of inner cities and especially uh, you know dirty New York before Giuliani cleans stuff up whatever so. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's preying on a lot of those those fears, and so basically, the seconds before uh, Death Wish comes in the door, uh, this guy gets murdered for not paying protection, and uh, Char- his name's Charlie, and he's another old person that uh, apparently Kirsty is old friends with, old friends with, and uh, then Kirsty, the cops show up that same second because the cops are only until like the last ten minutes, cops are only inconvenient in the movie. Well, so they no, uh, they they do fulfill the right wing fantasy of they do come and randomly take a gun from an old, old, they take a gun from an elderly couple at one point in the movie for no reason. Yep, yep. That we'll, we'll get back. We'll get back to all of that shit. How this is, <laughs> this movie is a right wing fantasy and it's comical, not uh, enraging to me. Um, but anyways, so. Uh, yeah, his friend gets murdered. He gets the cops show up. The cops think that he did the murdering, so he gets locked up. Um, we get to see a little bit of him being Death Wish because the one thing about this movie is that he has zero growth as a character. He is already full on Death Wish. Um, he's already the geriatric Punisher when this movie begins. Sort of like a late era Superman movie where like they do half hearted attempts to reintroduce you to the character, but if you don't know who Superman is, like what the fuck are you watching Superman Four: Quest for Peace for? Yeah, Peter. <laughs> so uh then then uh yeah he beats up some dudes in jail and he uh, he raises the ire of this gang leader who happens to be in jail and his his lawyer gets him out because this movie also hates uh lawyers and, holy uh, shit does this movie hate lawyers yeah and except the public defender who yeah. is a lawyer um, because she at one point actually is like, I got to get the fuck out of here. All these people are terrible people that I'm defending. So the one lawyer that the movie has any sympathy for is the one that shits on all of her clients that she's a public defender for. Yeah. The public defender even doesn't want to, uh, defend poor people. Yeah. So, so anyways, um, and she's a good, and she's considered a good character in the movie. Anyways. So he, uh, yeah, he, he eventually, the cops are, are, 
the more resources they put on the street, the less it's showing that the crooks are growing faster, or the creeps are growing faster than the uh, than the lawmen can control. And the lead detective, after beating up Kersey and threatening him and <clears throat> just being an asshole to him, decides to basically recruit him and give him carte blanche to be Death Wish on the streets. Yeah, that and- is such a quick turnaround because he he kind of threatens to kill him a bunch. Um like it, it doesn't the arc does not make sense. No, he he at says all. one of my favorite lines is in this scene which is where he says I could have you killed. Um out of nowhere just 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 normal police chief stuff where or police sergeant stuff where you say, "You know what? Hey person who we kind of suspect may have been a vigilante somewhere else at one point." Um, I could have you killed. And his response to that is equally crazy, which is, do you always violate people's constitutional rights? And then, and then that's top, that's top. I wrote this too. Uh, and then someone, and then the guy comes back with, I'm the law. That means I get to violate your constitutional rights. And which, um, is a meaningless sentence. It's, it's a meaningless sentence, but, <laughs> but like, I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, Hey, one of your rights as an American is police chiefs aren't allowed to murder you in cold blood. <laughs> like, I think that's that's just generally agreed upon stuff. That wasn't something that Thomas Jefferson that wasn't something that Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin were like hammering out. Like, should should we allow police chiefs to just murder people willy nilly? And someone's like, no. Even the British were put like, that put that right in the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> Even British people were like, no. I mean. Police chiefs shouldn't be allowed to just murder people. They yeah. just want to tax you. That's like one of those. And maybe, maybe that is where the maybe uh, maybe when they wrote the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, that's where the inalienable inalienable human rights comes from. Like that is specifically in reference to police chiefs not being able to murder you in cold blood. And I don't get it because the paranoid right wing fantasy, which we can just get right into this. Yeah, let's, let's go right- into the right wing fantasy. I also want to it'll be more fun to do that right up front. Like yep. in the repulsion episode, we got through the, the we we tackled the gender stuff right up front. I think tackling this movie as a right wing fantasy right up top is going to be the best way to do this. Yep. And one other thing about him, though, he he says the the police chief. He says at one point, I'm sorry, I, I suck. Do you have his name? A police chief. Oh yeah, it's it's Shriker, I think, which is like yeah. the ultimate tough guy name. It's like not a human being's name. Okay, so he says. So Shriker, the police chief, tells uh, tells Deathwish, cross Mr. me, Deathwish. Mr. Deathwish, cross me, and I'll bury you deep. And you know he, like you said, he puts him in charge. He basically is like, that's a superhero origin story for this movie. You're instead of murdering you, I want you to murder people, and I got your back. And he says, but cross me, and I'm going to bury you. And I wrote down, there's no way that Death Wish doesn't... There's no way that Death Wish doesn't cross him at some point. I couldn't fucking believe that he... That they end up just being friends at the end. I fucking love that as somebody who's seen... As somebody who watches these movies all the time and gets kind of fed up with some of the uh, cowardice that these movies show in their formulas, and canon is most fun because they break formulas all the time. Yeah. So they like so um, either because they don't they don't understand them or they're just like it would be more fun if depends on the movie. Um, but in this movie, I just think they set something up that they never they never wanted to bring back, which is. Um, 
that you expect this A to either be a mistaken identity thing where Paul Kersey is on the streets running from the cops and trying to get revenge for Charlie, which is really boring. Um, we have Fugitive. Like, we don't need another one of those movies. Yeah. Um, and then two, that he's going to piss off um, the police chief at some point. The police chief is is going to, you know, reel him in after he's had, like, the police chief is going to lose heart at some point. The police chief is going to be like, like, actually, you're not allowed to be Death Wish anymore. You're going to have to be uh, just a, a normal dude with a, a triple-digit body count under your belt just hanging out in Brooklyn. You're just yeah. going to have to, like, and neither of those things happen because those yeah. would have been a detriment to the movie. Yeah, I really thought that at some point, he, you know, he was going to kill all the bad guys and, like, the final boss of this movie, the big bad, was going to be like, you're just as corrupt as the rest of them. Because uh, this movie really hates the police department, and then all of a sudden it just doesn't at the end. It, it warms, and the weird thing is that it introduced to the police in the earlier Death Wish movies, and this is sort of a right-wing fantasy, that either you love the cops or you think that cops are cowardly and they've, uh, they, you know, they, they, they coddle crooks. And that they should be tougher. They should be all, like, Dirty Harry. And they just um, give parking tickets, which is, like, this movie's weird thing. Like, this yeah. this movie, this, the Michael Winner must have gotten a parking ticket right before he went to go make this movie. Because, holy shit, does he have a problem with cops who do any sort of meter parking or issuing parking tickets or even pay attention to parking. Because there's, like, ten slams against Ugh. cops just paying attention to the parking in the town. So, yeah. So, the, this old Jewish couple has this their gun taken away. And the cops are basically like, if you give it to us, we won't we won't get you in trouble. And it's a smash cut to them giving up their gun to uh, the most comically insane street hoodlums breaking <laughs> into their apartment and gloating them and saying, we're going to come back whenever we want. Like, they've ripped off the chicken wire on their windows. Like, they've just come into the apartment. Like, this is one of those movies that believes that without a gun, you're just letting letting the the, out, the uh, creeps come into your apartment and, you know, mess with you anytime you want. Yeah, that you're basically giving them a, a literal open invitation for them just to walk in and do whatever, knock over stuff, threaten them. I mean, basically, if like in this in this world, having a gun is the same as having a deadbolt. Like if you don't have it, you might as well just expect people to wander in and out of your domicile at, at their own whims. This movie is the biggest Second Amendment movie I've ever seen. And it's it, the reason that it's funny is because it goes to such extremes to prove its um, regressive political points that it... It basically no proves how ridiculous they are. And I, I don't think that there's any reasonable human being who could watch this movie and be like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, reasonable gun owners would watch this movie and be horrified. <laughs> yeah. That that part where they come and they break in and they take the old Jewish couple's guns. Uh, and that's the only police action that's not parking tickets, um, essentially. Throughout yeah, the first and- movie. But there's a bunch of other... I have a list of, of right-wing fantasy stuff. Why don't you tell me if I missed anything? So, um, so first of all, lawyers are either evil or ineffectual. They uh, immediately release the, the head of this gang, uh, and while they are releasing him, he is just, just threatening to kill everyone in the jail cell, and then Yelling. they still just let him go. Which are all, they're all actionable offenses. Threatening to murder someone is something that you can go to jail for. 
Yeah, you you can't do that even if you get released. You can't be like, <laughs> I'm going to come back here and kill everyone. It's like, well, we already let him out. Does he I think guess. he has some sort of hall pass? Like he's like, I'm getting or, out for that other bad thing I did, so now I can just like roam the halls. It's double jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, 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 you can't commit crimes in the police station. <laughs> you can't be convicted for crime twice. That's how I <laughs> that's how I understand double jeopardy. <laughs> but in any other movie, jumping back a little bit, in any other movie, the abuse of cops at the very beginning to Kersey who are just beating the shit out of him would be a statement on why we need rational law and order. But in a Death Wish movie, it's just showing that cops don't know how to do their job and just like harassing normal people more than they like stopping creeps despite the fact that the creeps they all operate out of one house like (laughs) they have none of the advantages that real life criminals have where they can kind of like they have safe drops for their drugs and like they have ways to get rid of murder weapons like all the criminal all the creeps hang out in a clubhouse talk about how they're going to murder people and then spread out after getting all fucked up on drugs every single night also i like, think it's a little shitty to say the cops are not effective and don't do things because i mean the the head of the creeps was arrested like he it is. was in jail so i don't know what legal technicality he got off on but at some point, someone in that precinct arrested him. And this this movie takes place in a universe where cops don't shoot enough people. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into some of the other right-wing fantasy stuff before we, we drill down. And the reason – I should say the reason I started kind of writing down these right-wing fantasy stuff is that bef- – so before I saw this movie, or as I was watching this movie, I had no idea whether the right-wing fantasy stuff was intentional. Because the, the thing about uh, vigilante justice – that can also be um, that can also be not not a lazy way of filmmakers, but a film can have a bunch of fascist imagery without like having any fascist intentionality. Because you know, if you want to make a, a movie where someone goes and shoots up the streets and there's cool gun violence and there's you know someone shooting someone and a hero to root behind, that's a that's a very easy movie to make from a thematic standpoint. It's simple. You have a hero to root against. It's good guy versus bad guy. I mean that's that's very basic. And so at first I wasn't I wasn't quite sure if this movie had any intentionality towards being a right-wing fantasy. Um so I I initially start writing down some moments and it became very clear this is not just simply, you know, hey, there's a vigilante, and as a result, there's you can't have a vigilante without a, a certain semblance of, of fascism. That no, 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 no. This this clearly is going above and beyond that. And obviously, after seeing the movie and reading about who the director was, uh, it made more sense. So let's just quickly go through the rest of the things that I wrote um, that kind of speak to that right wing fantasy. You can let me know any ones I missed, and then we can kind of drill down. Uh, from there, so we had, when obviously the lawyers are evil. We had the when they come and steal the the old Jewish couple's guns. Um, obviously, Immediate the, home invasion. Yeah, the the talk about constitutional rights and the fact that um, <clears throat> any government official, when it's inconvenient, ignores them. Um, just a general corrupt government. Um, that all drug users are violent and crazy. And um, also that – and this was a really weird big one considering it, this was a movie from 1985 um, – that anyone who didn't think the Vietnam War was a good idea was a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not a one-time thing. That comes up quite a bit because at one point 
uh, Charles Bronson is like, you know, I at one point I was uh, too peaceful of a man and I refused to fight in the Vietnam War. I, you know, I decided not to fight in the Vietnam War. What an idiot I was. And like they look, he looks at medals. He looks at pictures of the Vietnam War and is like, I was so dumb. I was so naive to think I could escape. And here, here we are in America and I got to go kill Charlie here. God. Okay. So adding to your right wing fantasies, uh, yes, that the, that everybody you know and loved will be raped and murdered and killed unless you take care you kill all these cre- creeps. Yes. Two. Not just that, raped, raped to death. To death. Oh Jesus! So we'll we'll get into that later because yeah. that is my one hold, my one major holdout of the movie that bit, like I, I have in my notes big fucking holdout. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, the the movie is a Second Amendment fantasy that like yeah, like I said, no reasonable gun owner would ever agree with because. He buys this gun, this Wildy Magnum, for, this Wildy 44 Magnum, this mass, comically massive gun. Yeah. It is the most 80s thing I've ever seen because it's like an automatic that's like, it looks 18 inches long. <laughs> I don't know how long it actually is. It's it's like a it's like a, a Joker's gun in Batman, the Tim Burton Batman. I, I don't <laughs> think it's that small. It's much bigger. <laughs> and um apparently when, when he Charlie, when he gets it though it is like batman getting his cowl for the first time it, in a movie. it is it's it's where he's like oh i finally i don't have to deal with these these little 38 snub nose revolvers anymore um and there's a sequence where charles bronson who this is this is this is basically him becoming the character like fully this is this is a superhero movie where he he had no yeah, longer ab- has any qualms about being death wish yeah, this is absolutely a, I have that written down in my notes. Like this is like a, a bug nuts superhero origin story. This is Dark Knight where Batman has no doubts about his character. He's just like he's Batman through and through. He begins the movie as Batman, he ends the movie as Batman. And, and his one rule is that he only kills. He only murders. Um yeah, geriatric character. Yeah. Um and uh so this Wildy Magnum apparently. So this looks like a comical gun that they would just find Right. Apparently, this was Charles Bronson's personal weapon of choice, and talking politics with Michael Winner and the screenwriter and shit. Apparently, it got brought up that that's what they thought he should use in the movie. Like this isn't this is a movie made by old conservative people um, for old conservative people. But like, yeah. And Michael Winner, it's also sort of weird to me that he's British. Because between his obsession with the Vietnam War and everything else, and I can't believe that he directed the first two because that was one of those other shocks for me. Because this movie reads like someone else got their hands on a property. Because the characterization... All of the subtlety is gone. Yeah. This this looks like, you know what, forget this. He's just a guy who shoots people now. And he shows no emotion over anything, and we're going to get to this. This this definitely feels like, you know, knowing the basic plot of the first movie, this feels like someone else got their hands on a character to to give their message or to promote their ideology. So it was shocking to me that it was the same person who did the first three. Yeah, I um, 
Yeah, and he, I think the, he just, especially the movies were very controversial. There was someone on the subway, I forget the guy's name, not that you really need to remember people like this in name, someone on the subway, I think he was being mugged or something, and he shot a bunch of muggers with his, his gun, and he claimed uh, that Paul Kersey was his inspiration. And oh. Michael Winner and, and uh, uh, Charles Bronson never spoke out against this guy or anything or said like that people shouldn't take the movie that way uh, until this movie. Yeah, and when Charles Bronson spoke out against it. Yeah, Charles Bronson was like, actually, these are just movies, which is funny because this is the most committed of all the movies, I think. You mean um, uh, based on his acting? <laughs> Honestly, Because he, he, he seems wildly uncommitted to this role. He barely seems like, like, like it works as part of the heightened comedy of the movie, but... I mean, he just, he does not seem like he gives eight shits about this. Two shits. Oh my shits. god, it, it's such an asset to the movie, though, because he thinks that, he thinks that every part of this murder frenzy is funny. He only, the only time he doesn't think it's funny is when he's momentarily uh, emasculated and has his gun uh, taken away from him. Uh, that's when he looks very serious, because that, that's basically Charles Bronson being like, fuck, it's the only part of the movie I have to run because he's running away from creeps one night yeah. when he's on the hunt. That's the only part of the movie where he, he he's A, running, and B, doesn't look like he's having a blast. Um, and that ties back into what I was saying. When he gets the Wilby Magnum, there's a sequence where all the old people in the apartment building... So Charlie died. He's living in Charlie's apartment because that's how movies work. And uh, what do you expect? Like the police to clean it up or something? <laughs> no, no, no. So Charlie's friend in the building, another old man who's a war vet and totally agrees with Kersey and what he's doing, like every other old person in this movie and all the minorities in the neighborhood who he never really, he befriends two minorities. Well, that sort of yeah. as like, sort of as like Michael Winner. It, they're totally token characters, just so Michael Winner can feel less racist. <laughs> it's, it's, I think, I think it's more than token. So the part that you're talking about is that, yeah. So he he moves him to the building, and then they're kind of showing that he's meeting other building tenants, and he basically only meets two couples. Uh, an African American couple. I I think they're African American. Obviously, the the definitely um, Marina Citrus who plays. Uh, the the woman, uh, she's definitely not African American in real life. I I think they were positing that they true. were supposed to be African American. So, um, I guess unless unless they're supposed to be Hispanic, but regardless, they're supposed to be not not white, and they're, they're supposed yeah. to be part of the you know part of the community around yep. here. They're supposed to be, and it's supposed to be, and also the gang, the actual gang, the the whatever they're called, they have uh, an interesting Warriors-esque tattoo yeah. on their head Yeah, um, that they paint on every night, like war paint. Uh, that's a very multicultural gang. The gang leader is uh, a white dude with a very terrible hipster haircut. <laughs> yeah, so, it's like, so he... It's like, it's, like a, not, it's like male pattern baldness, but with like a hedge clipper. It's just yeah. like a straight line down the middle. It's, re it's, like a, a, multi it's a reverse mohawk. Yeah, and and that's actually makes the movie better that that, that at least Michael Winner was making these like really half-assed con, uh, consolations to the fact that the last two movies were called racist. Yeah, Cause, so cause that now the game cause is that, cultural. Cause, yeah, because that's what it felt like. It felt like there's the ethnic couple that are either uh, supposed to be black or Hispanic. I was never clear, or, or maybe more, or maybe a combination of both. And then the other couple is an old Jewish couple, and those are the kind of the friends that he meets in the neighborhood. And I got the sense from watching it that this really was the hey look. These are the good ones. Yeah. And that was the other part besides the um, the rape scene that we're going to get into later. That was the other part that just felt really um, 
icky. You know, I almost would have felt better about it if he just had some white neighbors. Because, like, here's a Hispanic. Here's a black person. Here's Jewish. See? My movie likes them. They're they're very nice. They're going to help our protagonists kill everyone else in the neighborhood. These the are movies. the good ones. And that, that wasn't charming or fun. That was, you know, tokenism at its worst. Yep. And the whole movie is essentially whoever is on Kersey's side. It's basically creeps versus straights. And if you're not on Kersey's side, you are the worst human being ever. And if you are on Kersey's side, then you agree with everything that he does. And there's this scene where he's all, he pulls out the Woldy Magnum and they're all just staring in awe at this big gun. Like, this gun will solve all of our problems. This guy with his gun will solve all of our problems. And... Like, even that extends to the lawyer that he meets when he's in the prison. This lawyer is a public defendant. She cares about justice. She actually secretly hates all these creeps and hates, you know, hates dealing with these, uh, these normal <laughs> poor people. And, uh, essentially. And she, uh, she loves Kersey without, like, through no effort of his own. Like, He's just like a quiet, conservative, 63-year-old man, and she <laughs> does not look like she's hit 30 yet. Yeah. And <laughs> and she just falls in love with him immediately, and she is the classic woman in a fridge. I think that is the gr- – look, I haven't seen every movie. I've seen a few. Um, I don't think there's a worse love story in a movie I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I mean, ever. like – I mean, like, this one is just, like, poorly constructed. There, there, are, there are movies where the story is accidentally creepy. This one is creepy in the sense where it's just like, well, the old guy gets to sleep with the 30-ish year old. Like, it's gross, but it's not. It could, it could be grosser. It happens and could be grosser she, is not a good standard. No, it could <laughs> I, but the whole it's it's not just the growth standpoint because there's there's other movies where completely disinterested elderly men have relations with twenty year olds twenty five year olds maybe to be generous it's it's not just that it's the it's the way it happens where they meet at the prison and then she she tracks him down asks asks to go on a date they go on a date and then they go have sex um, and they. Both times when they kiss for the first time, again, speaking to canon directors not really understanding, well, if it's not blowing up or bleeding, I don't really know what to do here. Um, they just really awkwardly zoom in on lips kissing. Which would work if, A, the two actors had any chemistry, or B, the two actors seemed like they could work as a couple in any universe. Well, yeah, it's just everything is so poorly developed. They don't they don't spend any time. It's 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 almost a joke of, hey – now we're dating because and there's no there's no flirting. There's nothing that gets to that point. It's just like, here's a person. And to follow her thread through, so then they're out for ice cream and the creeps uh, come out to kill her. And she they, they punch her in the face. She's in the car. Charles Bronson's going to get ice cream, um, which, again, he, he's already – at this point in the movie, it's about an hour in. He's declared war on the on most of the neighborhood. He and he does murder not, ready immediately. He doesn't need any more. Yeah, he, 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 he really is not, like, understanding the consequences of his action. It's night. He goes and gets ice cream. He's like, you wait in this car in this neighborhood that wants to kill me. Uh, <laughs> he goes in and gets ice cream. And one of the creeps runs out, punches – his, uh, the public defender in the face, and then uh, hits off the emergency brake and pushes the car down the road. And and this is, again, this is the the movie fits just as well as parody. The car is going about 10 miles an hour. It hits another car, and both cars explode. 
It's going at like the the most gentle angle down a hill too. This yeah. is not like a San Francisco forty five degree angle street. This is like a nice little hill. It's like a, it's like a fifteen degree incline. Yes, and 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 even though it's such a low incline, it's not like they're like, well, we're gonna make this car look like it's going fast. No, it looks like it's slowly rolling down a fifteen degree incline. It hits another car and. When I say both cars immediately explode, they immediately explode. <laughs> and Charles Bronson seems pretty unaffected by it. It's that old canon thing of like, hey, we got that emotion in the first couple movies. Let's let's give him some reason to fight back big time. And then they never mention her again. Like, it, it's they, kind of amazing she's how... She's gone from the movie. They, they, they use her as this big ploy to kind of um, give him, I, I think from a story standpoint, give him the push... Like if 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 you were a better script writer, you would go, well, this is going to be the push that he needs to really not just not just dick around with you know hitting them with tire irons, but he's going to go kill people. Except that he's already done that a ton, and that his girlfriend's death doesn't seem to change anything, and is never mentioned again. This just dawned on me while you were talking that this That's- movie's <laughs> support of the Vietnam War so late is perfect for its politics because yeah. essentially it views this this the New York is not just a New York. This is the most this is one of the more post-apocalyptic visions I've seen of like late 70s 80s uh, crack era um early 80s crack era uh, New York. Dirty New York, like this is one of the most post-apocalyptic visions I've ever seen of it. The implication here is that Whoever dies in the pursuit of this lone American cowboy coming in and taking out these gorilla style creeps, whoever, whoever dies in the process, it's all just part of the plan. That is how, that is the only way that I think you could have justified the Vietnam War in the mid eighties. And I think that, and I think that, um, the movie shares that ideology through and through because people just get knocked off over and over again. Like I said, Kersey starts the movie ready to murder. And then as it goes on, um, first Charlie gets killed. Charlie barely gets mentioned after he gets murdered. It's not like when he's at the end, he's getting revenge. He's like, this is for Charlie. None of that shit ever happens. Then, and I'm um, not sure. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if this is based on Charles Bronson's Someone nonchalant performance in the movie. And Ch- Charles Brunson's always an understated character, but he really takes it to another level. So I don't know if you're supposed to think, yeah, he, he's internalizing all of the tragedies that have occurred, but oh, he, he's he doesn't not. seem if, – if he doesn't – if that's what he's going for, it's not – it's not how he seems outwardly in any way, shape, or form to the point that it's like, well, my friend's dead. Okay. Well, my girlfriend's dead. Happened again. <laughs> But it's not even, yeah, he's not even bummed about it. Like, he, in the next scene, after sort of mourning over her death, and yeah, the car, when the two cars hit, it looks like both cars, it looks like it's some, uh, it's like a joke about Pintos exploding or something. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's, it's the top secret. Yeah, joke. it's like, wait, 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 why do they just, why, it's like, uh, oh, uh, gas prices are so high, we decided to load the car with nitroglycerin, like, it's just too immediate. Uh, cars hitting at maybe 20, 20 miles an hour and immediate explosion. If cars worked like that in the real world, no one would drive cars. No. Um, and the people and that do even, would be dead. It didn't even hit the – it should be noted. It's not like it hit the – like the Pinto joke in Top Secret is that they hit the back and it hits the gas tank. They hit the fucking driver's side door or the passenger side door and that was it. <laughs> Going yeah. 10 miles an hour down a rolling hill and the cars just fucking explode. <sighs> 
It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that happens. Then they're friends with a, I guess they're coded as Hispanic couple. And uh, she is raped and then she dies. Just dies because, like, they just don't know. The movie is so uninterested in dealing with. Um, yeah, so the, this, the, yeah, this is, this the, is the biggest part. holdout. Yeah, this is the this, one thing where it's like, this is a make or break moment in the movie. You either have to be, like, on board with this, like, goofy, comedic version of a right-wing fantasy or you are going to drop off this movie so fucking hard well it's also difficult for a couple reasons is that again going back to how a good screenwriter could have approached this it wouldn't make the scene any less exploitative and it absolutely is that in the worst way it's not it's not it's not titillating it's not it feels like well let's you know, I never thought now now two episodes of this podcast, I am a person who is saying, I don't want to see this much nudity. I don't know what I don't know what has occurred in my life that I'm now a person who on two episodes in a row is decrying the use of of, of breasts in a movie, but I guess I guess that's what canon does to me, that uh it it's gone too far. But I this, this is I think repulsion broke you and so that you couldn't enjoy Matilda May in uh Life Force. <laughs> It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just thought it was it ruined the reputation of the movie. Uh, I thought I thought the reputation it's of the sou- movie was, it slightly soured it. It soured it. Yeah, that was yes. that. Oh, it's the movie where the naked chick runs around. And here, uh, in their attempt to add naked naked women to all movies, they made this extremely gross scene because it's not titillating. It's just someone getting raped. It's not at, at no point is it fun. It's also a character that you know, so it's not just like, hey, look, a random girl's breast. That happens later in the movie. Also gross. But this is a character that's just been nothing but nice. It's really tough. And also, a good screenwriter could have actually, while it wouldn't have made it any less gross, could have could have made it work in the movie. It could have been, yep, this, 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 this person that you know, the person that Charles Bronson knows, and this couple that he's befriended, um, she gets raped, and now he's, he's going to take that next step, and he's going to start murdering people, except that he killed two people that were carjack, that were stealing his car the night before. Uh, he just shot him on the street and left Which him. Which what was so, happening is he was eating dinner with the Jewish couple because he, being an old man, this is a movie about old an old man, he <laughs> was eating dinner with the Jewish couple because he thought that that their meal smelled good from the hallway. He made his friend introduce him to the Jewish couple. Then he meets them. Then he gets involved in their problems. He's eating dinner. And then he um, set a trap for hoodlums. And we're in, he, he, he left uh, some bait for them. He comes out. He sees they're trying to steal his car. Or they're stealing his radio. And he just shoots them dead in the streets. Uh, and then goes back with a fucking and, smile and yeah. eats dinner. And the movie's like, isn't that awesome? And you're like, not really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone in the neighborhood is always fine with killing people. This is a solution that all the good people in the neighborhood are totally on board with. There's not a moment of questioning that, hey, should we just be shooting people? The movie, even though that wouldn't have made it a less gross scene, the movie could have at least said, hey, we're going to be super gross and we're going to include this unnecessary rape scene just as an excuse to to have some nudity in the movie. Let's at least maybe, I don't know, make that a plot point in the movie. It's not at all. And he's properly motivated already, dude. Like this could have this whole sequence could have been cut and the movie would have worked better. Yeah, and and there was nothing. I want to make a cut of this movie where that that sequence is just cut out. Well, but that gets especially hard because their solution to hey, now we have this rape victim. What do we do with that? Because um, we still want her husband to help out Death Wish. Um, What do we do? Oh, I know. Let's 
killer. Let's have her raped to death. And on top of that, they make it extra cruel. Like, they could have just had her be dead and everyone sad. Instead, for no reason, they have a scene where they're like, hey, she was raped. It's terrible. She broke her arm, but otherwise she's okay. And then they get to the hospital and they're like, yep. And the doctor, who does not give a shit about anything, is like, yep. He's seen more the, death than any of us will ever see. Yep. It turns out those those broken arms had some blood clots, so she's dead now. Yeah. She got she got killed like a kid from a separate piece. Just like yeah. a, a, a piece of bone marrow or something ended up, like, riding up her vein and, and killed her heart or something. It's It's... It's, like, so convoluted where you're like, oh, you just didn't want to deal with the, the fallout of this horrible exploitive act that you pulled off. Yeah, and, and honestly, to the, the point, to, to the point honestly, that her husband, her husband doesn't care anymore. Her husband yeah, never mentions it either and then just has fun holding machine gun bullets for Charles Bronson. So, it, But here's the thing is I think that a movie would have been fine if, like, the guy, the guy just kind of appears later after his – uh, 10 second mourning period um, he just kind of appears later ready to murder and the, by then the neighborhood is all on Charles Bronson the neighborhood's on Charles Bronson's side from the get go yeah. so they could have just had the guy I forget his name He's, he's they could have just had him be like I'm here to help you and he has that zip gun which I didn't know what a zip yeah. gun was until today apparently you could just take a pipe and make a gun out of bullets yeah of course that's what you do with pipes no I didn't know that <laughs> Um, and I was like, and I was like, Kersey seems to have a lot of guns. Why doesn't he toss this guy a real gun? But um, but yes, yeah, so yeah. this, this is all supposed to properly motivate us for the the, fin- the grand finale we're in. It, yeah, but it's it's it is trying to motivate. I mean, the last straw for the finale is his girlfriend dying. The public defender. This happens before that. There's nothing about this scene that's not. We just wanted to show a naked person. There's there's nothing about it because he's already killed people. So he doesn't need the motivation to take the next step. And it's not the final straw before he goes on his mass murder spree. That's his girlfriend dying. So there's 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 absolutely nothing. And and they and I agree with you. It should have been cut out. And I wish it wasn't in this movie. But a better screenwriter could have figured out a way to make this terrible moment some sort of motivating factor and instead it is not that at all and yeah it's it, there's that's one of the things that makes this movie a comedy to me not the actual rape scene but just the the sense of escalation without any feedback from Kersey yeah. where it's just like bad shit ba- bad shit's happening bad shit's happening and then eventually we reach this explosive finale which we'll spend a lot of time on because it's so much fucking fun there's very very little escalation here and I think that they could have just cut that whole sexual assault sequence out entirely from the movie they also probably could have cut the lawyer public defender lady out of the movie but that would deprive us of one of the best like belly laughs in the movie. So I don't know if that would be worth it. The thing is, rape is never fun in a movie under any circumstances. But like, a, but a dude shooting straw men is fun because it's like this is sort of safe fantasy where they've set it up where like, like there's never an excuse to rape anybody ever, ever 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 but like in our heads we build these situations where it's like well, what if a guy came in your house and he said I'm gonna murder you like. People build up paranoid fantasies to help let themselves off the hook morally. Yeah. Um, and to like and be like, oh, this would be an, ex- an acceptable situation to kill. Like people do that. I, people just do that. Yeah. I constantly – I just sit at home and think, this person I don't like already, person who 
when I said please put some ketchup packets into the Burger King bag, did not follow those instructions. <laughs> um, first of all, first of all, weird. I have to ask at all because I ordered fries and a burger. Just yeah, give me ketchup. Fuck? Then when Just I ask it. you, you look me in the eyes and you tell me, yeah, okay. And then I get back to my office. I open the Burger King bag and there's no fucking ketchup. I just spend the rest of my day thinking, what circumstances could arrive where I could I could murder this person? And now, you know, and you know, Kathy keeps packets in her desk. But like, what the fuck? Are you gonna go talk to Kathy? Like, you shouldn't have to. You went to yeah. Burger King. You wanted to feel like the Burger King. Yeah, I wanted. I didn't even ask for a crown. I could have because that is part of their marketing strategy <laughs> that they have crowns that you can put on your head. I didn't even need that. I just wanted some goddamn ketchup, and you know what? Anyone, no one would judge me for sit for sitting all day at my desk and thinking about how to kill this person. Everyone would go, <laughs> "Look, great, we understand it. Most juries won't even convict you, but if I sat all day thinking about how to um, sexually assault that person, that would probably cross the line." <laughs> and that's a weird thing that I think is maybe an American culture thing. And I'm not going to backtrack because I think this is a legitimate phenomenon where people, not necessarily all day, fantasize about like situations where they're like, well, what would you do if you were in a situation where it's fight or flight? There's right? an entire like, subculture that's like, if I had a gun in this situation, I would have killed all the bad guys. Yep. yep, yep. I mean, there's it, it, there's millions of American people that <laughs> think that if they have a gun, they can just fix any of these situations. But it's, it's a thing where I – I don't think this is that fucked up because it does reach into some sort of fight or flight mechanic that you have. And you're like, well, yeah, I wouldn't – I couldn't run away from a situation like that. Like I would stand and fight. Like – People build up these sort of, especially in the modern day, it becomes even more relevant to build up these sort of death fantasies because we're so, if you're just like a normal dude that lives in like a normal neighborhood and you feel pretty safe for your life on a day-to-day basis, you are essentially, you essentially have these wired in survival mechanics that you're ignoring. Your body is like finding ways to scratch that itch. So like, that's where that, that, that's where that like weird macho sense of like, if I were there, I would have beat the shit out of that guy. Like you wouldn't have shot anybody. Like that's where that, like that Mark Wahlberg thing where he said that on 9-11, if he were on the plane, he would have stopped it. Like it's this weird macho thing where you can play safe fantasy because your everyday life is so safe. And I, I kind of understand that. I don't understand it. I'm not a violent person. I've never even, I've never even really thrown a punch in my life. And I'm not um, saying fantasizing about actual murder. I'm fa- it's no, like but, fantasizing but, but about self defense. Well, that's what I mean. Is that I understand that because, like, I in my head cannot imagine a scenario where a tornado was coming towards me, and I I don't make it out a okay. I don't know why. That's it's it's a very specific thing. It's probably uh, probably part of growing up in the Midwest. But, like, when I hear about tornadoes killing people, I'm like, why? How could you not? There's so many things you could do. You go to your basement, you get under this. Like, I think I actually can visualize myself if I was caught up in a tornado running from it. If that, like, literally, I'm in the tornado's funnel and I'm just moving my arms and I, I feel like I'd be able to get away. <laughs> and it makes no fucking sense that I think that <laughs> at all. But I do, like, I'm telling you, no joke. I think that even if I was getting sucked up into a tornado, I would figure out a way out of that situation. And I don't know. I know that's illogical. And I don't know why I think that. But that's – I think that. that That is my version of I would have stopped 9-11 if I was Mark Wahlberg or if I was at that you know terrible shooting that happened, I would have – 
been able to do something about it. So I, like, I won't get killed by wind. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Um, if anyone thinks that this is a joke, it is not. And I don't understand it about myself, but there it is. Um, which, which I'm basically at this point just asking for to, I'm going to die by a tornado. So I get it. And we have all these evolutionary instincts that are based on that. And unfortunately, a lot of people are like, I 100% don't think that pop culture, whether it's movies or, any, or video games or anything else, causes uh, any sort of violent behavior. I do think that there is some sort of effect about watching Death Wish and Die Hard and all this stuff, which reinforces some sort of primal nature of a desire to be a hero that I think causes people to tap into that, man, if I just had a gun, I would save the day. Which I agree, I agree. And I think that if Death Wish came out today in as many theaters, uh, relatively, uh, across the country, if it could reach the same uh, proportionate audience that it did at the time, I think that you and I would be disgusted in it because it can actually have an actual net effect on a large number of Americans and their gun fantasies. Like, this movie is basically, target audience is uh, fucking uh, Clint Eastwood from Gran Torino. The Gran Torino guy where he's just sitting on his deck eating, drinking old style all day, waiting for an opportunity to show his gun to uh, <laughs> to some young street toughs. Because, I mean, Gran Torino is obviously, but especially by Death with standards, is a fairly progressive movie about an old guy learning to uh, not use violence as an outlet for uh, his rage, his, his white, older dude rage. Um Gran Torino is basically a, a, a counterpoint to these Death Wish movies, but the character itself feels like the, the beginning of the movie feels like the target for the, the target audience for these movies. And like he would see a Death Wish movie on cable and be like, "Yeah, serves them right." I think that the the advantage of watching something as a canon movie and watching something as a B movie, an exploitation movie with such a small audience now, where I first heard about Death Wish three through the AV clubs, I think new cult canon years. Yeah, that's ago. right. That's why it was on my list to begin with. Yeah, and Alex place. Winter is very proud of it as like a cult, one of his cult movies because Alex Winter is in this movie. I didn't mention that he's the Jeff Goldblum or uh, Lawrence Fishburne of this movie. Um, yeah, he's just a young creep that gets blown away. And, he's my. Uh, he's my. He's my. Uh, He's my first note in this movie. Where I just <laughs> you're going to say he, he's your marriage freebie? What do they call it? <laughs> if I ever yeah. meet Alex Winter, I get to bang him. Get a yep, hall we, pass. Yep. Uh, yeah, I've talked about that with my wife. Um, we get five, and mine is <laughs> one, one through five. It's Alex Winter. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, my first my first note here is just Alex Winter exclamation point. He's yeah. just in the movie. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So the, I think that the fact that it is a smaller audience and it's an audience probably of a lot of uh, uh, younger liberal kids <laughs> or like just liberal people that are generally the film audience for these sort of movies um, in this day to day tends to be like AV club style readers, people that are into cult movies and they're more into the concept of they're not taking the movie at face value. They're, they're taking it as some sort of other cultural artifact, some other strange, they're taking the context that it was in originally and reconstituting it into a new thing. They're making it less dangerous by making it into a comedy. And I think that that's where one of my key defenses of the movie comes in, where if this movie were a big budget, broad movie, like a taken style movie, like put out today, I'd be really grossed out by it. But the fact that it is, its effect now is so null on the culture makes it worth, it, it makes it worthy because it is, it's, it's uh, innocuous. So once it's innocuous, it's safe to laugh at. 
And it was, I agree with you. It's, it still is seeing this in 2016. I feel like if I had seen this a couple years ago, um, I have a lot of enthusiasm for this movie. I really loved it, but we're in this weird election cycle of just hate and racism and let's kill people we don't like. And so uh, even even with those cult trappings and the fact that no one who thinks that is watching Death, Death Wish 3 because that's not what this movie is anymore in the wider culture, it still was a little tough to watch in that uh, yeah, respect. Yeah, I can, I can see it from that perspective. And obviously, just the way that the world works every day, these genre movies get a little bit tougher to swallow, uh, especially the, the gender stuff, because we're just moving so fast forward. It's a good thing that this rape scene is probably harder to swallow than it would have been 10 years ago, I think, because uh, that means that we're moving forward, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and again, so that's that's not the movie's it, yeah. fault that I watched this for the first time in like the most bile and hate-filled time in America's history in the last fifty years. And uh, I think maybe, that, maybe yeah. fifty years is is incorrect, but it it feels like that from my lifetime, anyways. Yeah, and, and my point is more like especially Twitter comedians that like that I read where they they're making fun of politics on such a small scale, like they're just taking little things that Trump says that are really indicative of how he feels as a whole and making fun of them is um, a thing of power where if you can take these sort of fantasies and pull them out and just look at them and realize how ridiculous these power fantasies are and laugh at them, I feel like you disempower them somewhat. I think that's true, and that's why this movie ultimately... Um, I'm not. I'm not trying to do wrap ups, but ultimately this movie was enjoyable. But I could see myself finding this more hilarious as an extreme version of the right wing element, the extreme right wing element in our society uh, in 2014 or 2010 than I can in 2016. Now, again, that's not the movie's fault. Uh, it's not. Uh, and I still enjoyed the heck out of it, but there was a little bit about, yeah, people really do think this right now, and that disturbing. That can be that can be pretty problematic for people. But for me, it's such. It's also the need to laugh at these right wing fantasies is comes from a place of um, sort of political impotence, where you feel like gun culture is so embedded, and that the gun lobbyists are so embedded that sometimes you just have to be like. Throw up your hands and be like, you people are ridiculous. <laughs> and it, it, to give yourself a sense of breath. Yeah, and I think that, like, yeah, it comes from kind of a smug place. But I do think that the mo- this movie offers both legitimate thrills and ironic thrills. Is I think that um, one of the points of our show is we don't want to watch movies ironically and be like, oh, it's so good, it's, it's bad. Like, we, we're, I think we're taking the movies as they're presented, what they are. And watching them and trying to judge them for what they actually are, not like, this movie is unconventional, so it's bad. Like, Life Force is very unconventional in the way it's structured, and I think that actually nets some accidental positives. Yeah. The the weirdness is part of the part of the mix and makes it better. But I think it's attempt, as we've said now many times, it's attempt to talk about these issues or frame these issues in a way that kind of reveal their incorrectness. I guess would be the way it's like it's it's so clear that this that just murdering people that are looking under the hood of your car is a bad way to handle it. If you just like, you know, had amnesia and were watching this movie, I don't think you would walk away thinking, gotta go kill those creeps. I think you would 
you'd go away thinking, I mean, potentially that the police are no help, um, and you might be very worried about where you park. But I don't think you would come away from this with the idea that, man, that's the only way I'm going to be able to solve problems, just because I think the movie is able to present its its version of its political viewpoints, and then also it, it has, a, has a natural effect where it's kind of distancing and how crazy those viewpoints are. And to kind of drive that point home, to kind of to kind of uh, get us get us to near the end. There's a point where Charles Bronson finally decides that they're really going to have to take on the streets, and the the movie pans by a picture of fucking Custer and zooms it, in on him, and it which has a is, flash, which is hilarious. Which is amazing that this movie is not only pro-Vietnam War and that this was a righteous cause, and you goddamn hippies and peace lovers turned your back on it. Who the fuck sides with General Custer? I didn't get that at all either, because, like, if that were a joke to comment on this movie as a crazy dude goes to the inner city and tries to fix things and make it worse, that would be perfect. But instead, instead it's a movie about how awesome it is to go into the inner city and fix problems with a giant gun. So the uh, that was really weird. That was his, I'm going to do something about this moment. And they're kind of framing him as the the Custer in this situation, who, yeah, I guess Custer did want to do something. And he failed and died to try to, you know, take land away from people that uh, it was rightfully there. So, I mean, they might as well have just been like, obviously, Custer's not as bad as Hitler, but be like, I'm going to solve this problem once and for all and then go to Hitler and then think the audience is supposed to walk away going, yeah, he's that's a positive connection that you're forcing me to make. I have yeah, I have no fucking I have no fucking idea what's going on. Like there is a line later that's really creepy. Kersey says, "It's like killing cockroaches. Uh you got to kill them all otherwise what's the point?" Oh, yeah, that is creepy. It's uh, really creepy because you're just like you're just like uh, you're committing to such a fascist point of view with a no subtlety, b no sense of irony, and c there's no subtext to any of that. No. And he text also is text says, is text in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also says, to talk about, like, weird right-wing fantasies, he also says that he's, when uh, uh, the public defender questions him, he, he scoffs and goes about murdering people. Again, questions him. Um, she's a public defender, and he is uh, basically killing her clients. And she's like, I don't know if this is such a great idea. And he goes, hey, sometimes you have to thin out the herd, which is like social Darwinism at its worst. You're, like, calling, you're calling them animals. Yeah. In a literal and, sense. And, and thinning them out so that, I mean, when you thin out the herd, it's because they're, they're overpopulated and you don't want them to breed and add more and continue the overpopulation. So, yeah, it is – it's crazy that – that those are his two lines about that the the only two self reflective lines that he has are um are are calling these people literal animals. It is it's pretty hilarious. Well, and, yeah, and see, it, one, given your given the if you have the distance if you build up the distance that I did and enjoy the movie from the, my perspective, like that was a line that was straight up hilarious because I was like he doesn't even see these people as fixable. Like, if he kills the leader, maybe uh, the younger kids will go back to school. Like, some other sort of, like, some other sort of weird part of his fantasy. He thinks that these are unredeemable trash people. Yeah, and I guess I should I should say, 
that I don't I actually don't mean this while, while you can probably hear the just the general like holy shit I cannot believe this was the thing the movie did in my voice I'm actually I mean this as a positive the the only two things that didn't work for me in this movie and and they were big dings were the, were the rape scene and the weird hey here's the good uh people of color or non-white people Th- those are the only two moments so the zooming in on Custer the weird moments that he has those all work for me in the context that Peter, you've been talking about. Yeah, and, in and that this is such a fucking batshit crazy movie, and enjoyably so that the movie espousing that these people are animals, they actually think the audience is going to be like, yeah, sometimes you just gotta thin the herd of these human beings. <laughs> um, you know those human th- beings throughout the city. You know, it would be a joke in another movie, and the fact that it's delivered with that much sincerity while he goes into his fucking not-so-murder spree, which we're about to talk about, makes it that much more enjoyable. And, and the one thing I will jump back and say, it's not all murder. There is a brief Home Alone sequence before Kersey gets his oh, yeah. magnum, and it is so funny, because it's also, this is a more guilt-free f- fun part of the movie, because he's setting up traps for the creeps. In which, have we talked about creeps? How it's just like a coded word? It's coded as fuck. People here, say here. creeps a hundred... People say creeps... The creeps say creeps. Everybody says creeps. Old people, young people, cops, cursey. Everybody uses the term. It's basically the movie's version of a meme. Would you say it was like a night of the creeps? It was a night of the creeps. It's several days of the creeps. A couple, couple uh, weeks of the creeps. Actually, I, I do have a note. Creeps. Uh, I have a couple. I have a note here that says that if you played a drinking game to this movie, you know that that could be a segment idea where we give people drinking uh, drinking game ideas if they're going to watch the movies that we talk about. That'd be um, fun. If you said drink, if you drank any time that they said the words rights, turf, or creeps, you would be dead by the end of the movie. You'd be dead by the first sexual assault. Yeah, definitely. The the amount of people talking about their rights in this vague way, the gang leaders talking about their turf, and then literally, like you said, everyone just calling calling them the creeps. W- was that their gang name? It almost feels like that was their gang name, because that's the only way it makes sense besides, like, man, we want to say some slurs. Maybe it's their gang name. I, no... I don't know. I think it's just a coded word. And it's like funny to me because by the end of the movie, it's just as coded as the term thug is now coded. It's just like, you clearly just mean poor people of color, don't you? We should get to the part of the movie that I think is just guilt-free fun, which is where, well, almost guilt-free fun, where uh, (laughs) if you're a bad person, it's guilt-free fun, Um, where the creeps decide to ramp things up. And just burn down the town because they're pissed about their guys getting taken down by Kersey and they're pissed about the cops fighting back. Well, and also that they killed the uh, Charles Bronson killed the giggler, which was like yep, the right hand man who the giggler's big plan is that he he's a perch. He's a purse snatcher, which is kind of his claim to fame. And his way of kind of showing Death Wish slash Charles Bronson is he just runs up to him and bumps him, bumps into him. And then that was it, really. I, I didn't really get what what his big plan to show Charles Bronson was because he literally just is like he's doing a crazy laugh and is like I'm gonna get him. <laughs> oh, he steals then, his, he steals his camera. Oh, that did not cam- read to me. It just looks like he just pushed him. Gently. He steals Bronson's camera and then Bronson drops his ice cream and then shoots him. You know, like how heroes do. That makes more sense because a slight shove I did not think uh, deserved a bullet through the chest, but. 
I mean, if someone takes your camera, I don't know how else to handle that situation. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a one-way track. And yeah. it ends at the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so the they kill the giggler. They get this, this creepy fucking uh, creep leader uh, gets pissed, decides to call in more gangs to just have... It's like warriors, but, like, imagine that everything worked out at the beginning of the Warriors and all the <laughs> gangs are just like, yeah, we're going to go fuck shit up together. You don't mind, do we? And they've all got little cultural tics where it's basically, yeah, it's a, it's a 1980s movie idea of what gangs are where it's not just like gangs in real life are like very, the differences between gangs are very subtle. Sometimes the little differences between being on one side of a street and the other side of the street might be huge. And they might like the gangs might blow up those changes a little bit but like just looking at them on the street if they're not wearing the same colors it's not like one is a, it's not like a flash gordon thing where one dude's a viking and one dude's like a tree samurai like they, the the differences are very subtle so in movies they have to i get why they do this they have to make it broad so these gangs come in and they just start burning shit down and our buddy uh well uh Kersey's buddy which i should make a note here he gets Why injured is, and put in the hospital too. He gets put in the hospital. Yeah, this is this is post this is post his girlfriend dying. And he yes. just he gets attacked and then is just like in the hospital so that he can watch the action with binoculars. Well what happens is they burn down a shop in this really yep. awesome actual practical effect where they're actually burning down a building and he's just freaking out and because they burned down his shop that he said he's had for like 40 years or whatever and then he decides because, to because take he out, because he told a creep's girlfriend to get out yeah exactly exactly so he, he uh he pulls out his uh, war mg42 that he happened to have in his closet and he tries to shoot but the gun jams and so he doesn't get he, his body count is at zero he gets the shit beaten out of him by the creeps he's in the hospital whatever paul is now properly motivated by his buddy getting beaten up not murdered which in any other movie it would arch up and then his close innocent buddy would get murdered at the end instead of this dude that tried to straight up massacre a bunch of a bunch of people with a uh, machine gun and then failed at that and got pissed about it <laughs> like this is the sacrificial lamb stuff is grossly reversed in this movie. So there's all out war and there's, yeah, there's dudes breaking through windows and there's people are fighting back. Well, in Charles Bronson, they have the machine gun. Uh, yep. When he gets handed the machine gun from world war two, which um, the machine gun changes. Actually it's, it's, it's an MG 42 for one sequence. And then it changes to like, uh, like a Browning 30 caliber later. I don't, I don't know if those were supposed to be different guns and like one was broken and one wasn't like, I don't know what the fuck was happening there. I'm interested. You know that much about those weapons here. Uh, and you're a big fan of this movie, uh, <laughs> Vietnam. Yay or nay? Hard. Yay. Well, oh. nay that it ended so soon. I got my. We needed, we needed a new core Dr. Manhattan for that war to continue, though. Yeah, the lesson of Vietnam. I mean, I think you agree. Lesson of Vietnam was that we should have stayed and finished the job until all the cockroaches were eliminated. It's true. We just gotta, needed. We just needed to bomb them until the bad people all went away. Yeah, you got to thin the herd sometimes. Oh, Jesus. Um, but no, the, I, I know that stuff because I uh, uh, grew up during the famed era of World War II games. World War II games? Yes. <laughs> they, for like, for like, I feel like my entire childhood was shooting Nazis. I feel like it started um, with Wolfenstein and then it capped probably at the recent Wolfenstein game. 
<laughs> so it went from Wolfenstein all the way to Wolfenstein. Yeah, it went through the Call, of, the Call of Duty games. It went through uh, Medal of Honor. Medal of Honor. Med- I was a huge Medal of Honor Allied yeah, Assault the, guy. Yeah, the first one was great. Well, when he gets the machine gun, I asked because I wasn't sure if that was a logistical thing. Like if that that was a gun that actually worked. That's why the gun changed, or if it was just a weird thing. I just love how he gets it because so he gets handed Charles Bronson gets handed the machine gun by his friend who will eventually end up in the hospital here. After his uh, restaurant gets attacked, but he says, he tells them as he hands him the machine gun, they call us old people. We were running the world 20 years ago and then hands him a machine gun. I don't even know what that's supposed to fucking mean in this movie. It means, but that, it was it awesome. means old people don't like young people. It was pretty awesome. But but so this movie was made in 1984. It was released in 1985. It's hard not to see that. So what happened 20 years before that? 1964, I feel like something big happened that a lot of old people in this country were upset about. (laughs) I can't put my finger on it. I can't put my finger on it. It feels like it had something to do with people getting rights or something. Like, if you would have said 40 years ago or something like back in World War II – um, and he doesn't say that back then we were running it. Back then – he says back then, 20 years ago – Old people were running the world. So this this person's been old for at least 20 years. He's um, been old. I mean, I, I like to think he's been old since he was a baby. Yeah, he was born old. Uh, he had Benjamin Button disease, <laughs> except it just flatlined it old. Um, <laughs> and then one day, he just didn't wake up. Old, yeah, old, it, old, old, dead. But it was, it was super weird, because it was like, what a stupid line. That is weird. It doesn't make any sense. And then it's passed by handing him a machine gun, and then I'm like... Well, what was 20 years? Oh, god damn it. Are you kidding me? Like, that's the only thing I can imagine that line references. Yeah, and this scene feels like this final scene, I'm going to call it, um, it's like a fever. And I feel like it's supposed to be, the, the the allegory here is supposed to be that this is the body sweating out the disease. So it's yeah. like the body needs to go through this, like, hellish period in order to um, get rid of all the creeps. And... Um, so this is a horrible sequence where, like, the, the creeps are coming in. They're bothering normal people. Normal people are fighting back. The creeps are fighting back with them. There's a sequence where the creeps are, like, they're straight-up barbarians in this. They're not just focused on finding Kersey and killing him or beating the or scaring the people. This is a straight-up battle scene. And it reminded me – this is going to be the only time this comparison's ever been made. It reminded me of in uh, Andre Rublev when, in the middle of a battle scene – they the soldiers are looking for women to rape and you're just like but like these guys are easily distracted yeah i was gonna say it reminded me of if assault on precinct 13 had happened on a city a citywide scale um but no uh a tarkovsky movie also equally probably related <laughs> to what you're talking but it, about it was something that like so the woman doesn't actually get fully assaulted she's being carried away and Kersey is able to stop the act in the scale of this movie less gross than what's what we've already seen um yeah she didn't get she didn't get raped to death there were no arm breaking complications yeah she just kind of I think maybe she just got dropped when Kersey shot all the people that were trying to take her um but it it was a very it was a very this scene is just um disorganized chaos because it's just this but um kersey goes on the hunt and i compared this sequence to 
Vice City or <laughs> Max Max Payne because it's really well edited. Michael Winner actually directed or edited it under a, a pseudonym. Um, it's really well edited because it, it does a lot of these. It's it's very very video gamey. It does a lot of these snapshots between like cursy aiming and then close-ups of just bodies falling like it has this sort of dynamic quality paired with this 80s this perfect 80s thrumming synth score also he also gets more uh progressively powerful weapons he does he just like works his way and uh his buddy just keeps the zip gun (laughs) because apparently cursy can't throw a dude a bone uh so yeah this is all this is all going going crazy i love the chaos of this sequence i love uh the way it's edited it's really tight i love how this power fantasy finally comes to a fold where this old kind of running dude (coughs) is uh invincible he'll just he's he's not like really it's like pre it's a video game pre cover mechanics yeah stormtroopers would watch this movie and be like these people are terrible shots exactly exactly these guys are not getting anywhere near cursey and the interesting thing is even though cursey's a god um just knocking dudes out left and right uh the cop joins him for the murder spree at the end which is a straight up video game moment just like for the climax of the game, all of a sudden when your buddies joins you, because, like, there's just, like, too many guys. Like, that's a straight-up video game moment. Yeah. And it's great, too. It was – and it happens really quick. Um, it's really unexpected. We should also mention that um, Charles Bronson's wearing a bulletproof vest the whole time, and the big reveal is that reverse, reverse mohawk guy um, gets shot. And then he gets back up and says, I have a bulletproof vest, too, and points a gun. And there's only one thing – now now it's a mini Mexican standoff. You have the police captain, you have Kursky, and they're 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 the main bad guy leader is pointing a gun and he's just moving it back and forth kind of wildly. So what else were they to do? Bazooka. It's they, awesome. uh, they bazooka him to death. Uh, it's pretty incredible. This is a sequence where in a lot of movies you'd assume there's a, sh- there's a wide shot from the outside of uh, Kersey is in the apartment building with Schreiker. And there's this wide shot of the outside of the apartment building just blowing up. And in any other movie you'd be like, oh, they're all dead. Like they just decided that Kersey just decided to hit, to, you know, have an honorable way out, which would also line up with the Custer thing. Like, you know, not that Custer died really honorably, but he, yeah. you know, <laughs> getting died. slaughtered, getting slaughtered by Indians is really, yeah. He at least died, you know, during a battle or whatever. He, he yeah, died he was, for he, his, he was basically a samurai. He died for his horrible beliefs. Nope. He, Kersey just blew this guy away. The, him and the cop are totally all right because this is a power fantasy and sacrifices never need to be made. <laughs> and, uh, well, unless you're his girlfriend or his wife but or his daughter. Those don't seem to be sacrifices. <laughs> those seem to be just things that happen. But take his um, gun. Yes. And then all the gangs go wander off home because of honor? I don't know why they just decide to go home. Well, I think they saw that violence is bad. because They learned a valuable lesson. They, they learned a valuable lesson about, oh, Getting I guess... Guns. <laughs> I guess... Now that I saw our leader blow up, I guess I have a body that could also blow up. And now I've now through violence, I have learned a valuable lesson about respecting other people. And I'm going to go get a job and contribute to society and complain about paying taxes. And obviously, killing the leader of a gang never creates a uh, power vacuum that is violently filled. 
Um, no, that I mean, this is a pretty realistic movie. That sounds like a fantasy movie. <laughs> that sounds like do, Life Force. Have you seen Sicario? I have. Yeah. Um, the sequence where a, a this, character dies. If, if, we, if we communicate one thing, this movie is exactly like Sicario. I think it's better than Sicario. Um, no, that, Sicario is a movie I, I really liked, but one sequence I really, really loved was uh, a gang leader is missing and there's a power vacuum and there's a sequence where they're all looking through uh, binoculars at the city that the gang uh, gang leader operated out of, uh, you know, kind of, they're looking at the binoculars from a far distance. <clears throat> it looks like fireworks are going off, but what it is is a, a gang war, like a <laughs> brush fire that happens when there's a vacuum. That someone needs to fill that power vacuum. And, like, Cursey just leaves Death Wish 3 just walking off in the distance as, like, a heroic hero. And I'm like... This is almost a horror movie ending where he's just going to go to another town and fuck it up. Well, this and town the police, is on fire. <laughs> and the police captain who has has given him kind of carte blanche to do whatever is like, he joins in the fight, he kills with him, and then is like, all right, I can't protect you any longer. Get out of here, you crazy murderer, you. He's, I mean, he's also... Uh, a complicit murderer who actively is shooting gang members and just kind of joins in on the fun and then says, all right, well, you you better get out of here. And then, weirdly, uh, this this was bizarre to me. So you're right. He leaves, and then it plays credits over just not the same police. Like, there's it doesn't fade to black in the credits at any point. It's just police car after police car going by the same street. And I didn't know what that was supposed to be. Uh, except that maybe they forgot to fade out, but that must have been a stage situation where police cars kept going by for yeah. five minutes. I didn't it's understand it. Really, really strange way to to end the movie because, like, I don't feel a genuine sense of victory. Those gangs are just going to go home and keep being gangs. But then again, the alternative is at the end of this movie, after Kersey kills like fifty people personally, um, the the end of this movie is alternatively could have been him uh, locking them in a submarine and then sinking it to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> like, what, I don't know what would have been a cleaner victory for him. But well, I mean, that would have made sense from an escalation weapon standpoint. That it's goes, true. It goes uh, revolver to magnum to machine gun to bazooka to submarine <laughs> like i i think that's all pretty internally consistent so uh i think that was a pretty good coverage let's let's go through anything that we missed any other notes that we had or any other thoughts that we wanted to touch on so here's the thing that that's kind of the problem with this world that the movie postulates so from the beginning of this movie charles bronson has carte blanche to do whatever he wants in this movie with no consequence when it comes to using violence to solve the city's problems. And he does from the get-go. The first the first interaction, essentially, he has besides trying to save someone where he's actually being targeted is they're stealing parts from his car and he goes out and he kills them and there's no consequences. And he can do that all day, all night. That's clear from the get-go. So he has that vigilante power. It's bestowed to him, which fits with the right-wing fantasy. However, throughout the course of that movie, his uh, his friend in the apartment's wife gets uh, raped and murdered. His girlfriend gets murdered. And, and all these other things happen that are terrible while he's in that position of, of the right-wing fantasy of being able to solve any problem with violence with no consequences. So I guess... Doesn't that wildly undercut the movie's point? Maybe. 
<laughs> I don't I, I don't entirely know because this is a movie where any point made uh, against the massive rising hurricane tide of what its main political point is just gets dwarfed. There are 20 scenes saying that <laughs> that this is the way that, you know, violence is a great way to solve these problems. And then there's one or two scenes that are just like a little confused on the issue. And honestly, I chalked them up as uh, straight up mistakes. It feels like, again, I hate to be the Monday morning script writer, but if they were trying to prove that violence solved problems, it feels like that uh, Charles Bronson should have been more uh, contained in the earlier parts of the movie. And then when all these terrible things happen to his loved ones and his friends, then finally the police force or his own uh, American go-getter attitude is like, well, now I'm going to murder people with impunity. And then that solves the problem. But he has that ability from the beginnings. And still, all these terrible tragedies befall everyone that he cares about in this movie. So I guess the answer is that, and this this may surprise a lot of people, but maybe... Violence doesn't solve everything. Uh, and on that horrible mistake, I think we can wrap up the show. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do have. Uh, I do have one more. One more minor thing is that uh, the music at the beginning of this movie, which I really hope ends up as our opening theme. So hopefully, you've already heard it. Um, it was just going to be me me singing my own theme to Death Wish over that music. So Death Wish, <laughs> you wished for death. It's just a love boat theme. Um, uh, is that it's it, the music sounds like this is my note. Uh, the opening music sounds like a bus passenger who just wants to dance is trying to make it in the big city. <laughs> Perfect. I just wrote down, this is the snazzy synth jazz is a white dude's idea of that funky inner city music. Yeah, at no point does the music, and that goes throughout the entire movie. Um, but it's so funny because it's so hopeful and happy, and it's just Charles Bronson, but not, if Charles Bronson got off the bus that he's on, headed to New York City, and is like, all right, where's the ballet school? I felt like that would have fit the movie based on the music. Yeah, it's 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 he's going to the big city to live out his dreams of um murdering people in a new city. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, not a new city. He's he's going back home. This is like a Tommy Boy-esque movie where he's just going back to his old hometown to see how uh how things have changed and they've gotten way worse. Yeah. It's cuz it's cuz they kicked him out. It's cuz he was banned. If they had let him stay there and murder people, None of this would have happened. Oh, God. It's so true, though. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, there, you know, final thoughts. I'm, I'm Jerry Springer now. Um, I think we, what we learned today <laughs> is uh, I, I would I would absolutely recommend this movie. Now, again, you should have watched this prior to listening to this. If you got all the way through this and had not watched it, you're just a garbage person who doesn't understand the way you're just a creep. Should... You're a creep. And Curse That's... is going to clean you up. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely worth watching, though. Uh, I, and, and, and most of my incredulousness at some of these scenes um, are not meant to be like, this was terrible. It was, this was amazing in this weird, unexpected way. Because it really is unlike most movies that I've ever seen, I guess. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it because I thought it would be really fun to chew on because it is in many ways uh, problematic. But I think that it is fun enough to overcome a lot of the troubling aspects of it. And it is 
such a successful accidental comedy that I wanted to bring it in. And it's one of those movies where if something happens once, it's a tragedy, but if it happens four times, it's a comedy. That is the movie in a nutshell, where it's just like horrible things just keep happening. They don't (laughs) seem to really be... They just seem to be bouncing off Kersey. <laughs> Any one of these horrible things could have been enough to motivate him. And he chooses to just, uh, you know, keep it kind of on the level. Yeah, it's important to stay motivated throughout the whole game. Like, <laughs> there's, there's four quarters. You, you can't just get your motivation in the first quarter. Basically, one of your teammates needs to die every quarter for you to really stay motivated and, and see it through to the finish. Like, this is for Michael. Yeah. Our, our tight end. <laughs> Um, All right. Do you have any? Do you have any final thoughts? I think we're no. I I, we're, I, re- I, we're I really did like here. it. Yeah, I really did like it. I um I actually really want to see the first two, which may be, uh, you know, future coverage potential. But just because it, this this was weird to see in a vacuum. They're more troubling, but they're more respectable. So I think that they're they're uh, definitely worth watching. And I think that I think that probably makes it more troubling, right? Yeah, yeah, it's they're more troubling and the respectability of it makes it harder to laugh at. I recommend them, but they're less less of a um I would consider them way less of a uh success the death wish three i don't really consider them all that successful because they're too the first one is way too focused on setting up its liberal straw men and two is feels like a half measure between the respect like the attempted respectability of the first one and the batshit craziness we made it through a whole episode without saying batshit craziness how do we do that um i think i said a variation of it (laughs) (laughs) we made it through the batshit craziness of of death wish three it was nuts in a really good way, but yeah, I can see any respectability added to this would re- would really kind of ruin the charm of this movie, which which is probably why this is the one that's singled out. Yeah, this one's a brazen. Yeah, this is everything turned up. And again, which is why, uh, not to dive back into that point, which is why I, I assumed that this had to be by someone uh, ripping, ripping a beloved character away from the original director and going, I'm going to really inject my agenda into this into this movie um and the fact that it wasn't is crazy and if you haven't seen this movie um you can probably look for it i think i think it's the movie that'll be um opening up the republican national uh convention this year yes it will be (laughs) tune in live it's on all channels uh it it will not be censored uh, except for swear words (laughs) it's actually going to be made more racist more racist yeah they're they won't be saying creeps um, so yeah, so what, uh, so yeah, that was Death Wish 3. <laughs> that was Death uh, Wish what do, 3. That was Death Wish 3. What do, what do we have coming up next week, Peter? So you're going to say, what do we give this movie? And I was like, we don't have a rating system. I'm going to give it three wishes out of death. <laughs> I'm going to give it a uh, seven out of five creeps. Our next movie is going to be picked by Aaron. It's going to be Godzilla versus Hedorah or the smog monster. And we're going to have our first guest ever. So it might be a disaster. Zach Groton of the dissolve as well. And uh, we're going to noted Godzilla expert noted. Fan- Godzilla. He's the only person I know that knows more about Godzilla than Aaron. So yeah, he he's going to be a fantastic guest. I think that we should call the show uh, Godzilla versus Hedora uh, or the Smog Monster. I think um, that that will really confuse him throughout the course of the movie. That we think that that's the title. <laughs> it's ba- basically uh, it's going to be tough to just not play tricks. I think. I think you're going to really confuse him during the uh, opening segment, and I'm looking forward to that. 
Uh, yeah, uh, I do. How's, how's that going to react to games? I think we're going to have some fun next week, and hopefully, it, this will not ruin the idea of guests coming on our podcast uh, for for all time. Yeah, so bear with us as uh, we might be working out some kinks uh, in terms of taking uh, a pretty young podcast and adding a third remote. Because Aaron and I uh, record, I don't know if we ever mentioned this before, Aaron and I record our stuff uh, on each other's lap. On each other's lap, as most podcasts are recorded. Sharing one mic. On hundreds of miles away, and we've never actually met in person. We met over over chat. We've actually, um, with the exception, this is this is one hundred percent true. With the exception of these podcasts, and I really mean there was no prep for these podcasts. Um, with the exception of the podcast, we spoke twice, and it was me walking you through portions of Bloodborne. Over yeah, PS4. it was. It was you giving me uh, encouragement on uh, Father Gascoin, basically, which is a very intimate experience getting to hear someone beat a Bloodborne boss. It, it is a weird situation that if if this uh, podcast is getting more natural, it's probably because if this what this is episode four, this is the sixth time we've spoken. Jesus <laughs> um, Christ! Yeah, but we uh, but, but we've talked but we talk for three hours every time. <laughs> We're just like a new relationship. Oh. Um, so, yeah. So, our, our next episode after that, uh, after we have a guest, we're going to um, to kind of do something a little bit different. And it, it it's uh, it's a weird one-off movie that actually was uh, pretty hard to, to watch until pretty recently. And that movie is Saul Bass's, um, Saul Bass's. Phase four, which is a killer ant movie, normal size ants with a very sinister agenda. And I've seen it. I actually watched it for the first time, I think, a couple years ago. And and Peter has never seen it. I've never seen it before. I'm pretty fucking Why don't you watch movies? It. I don't really like movies. I think they're kind of fucking boring. Well, if you think they're boring, I cannot wait for you to watch Ants, Tear Apart, uh, Scientists. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. But I'm not not, not literally. <laughs> Do you mean like they insult them for, uh, you know, shortcomings? You're going to be surprised how many head games these ants play in this movie. It's God. pretty fantastic. I'm pretty pumped about it. And after that, we're not going to announce anything yet, but we have we have a big schedule planned. We have more upcoming guests. We have a lot of fun stuff uh, planned. We're going to have some call-in contests. Uh, we're going to come to your house. We're going to record a podcast. Um, we're going to babysit your kids. We're going to be doing a lot in your life. Please stay tuned. Uh, and as always, I have been and will continue to be Aaron Armstrong. And I have and always will be Peter Moran. Thank you so much, Peter. We'll see you next week.